Welcome to the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. Presented by Luke's Pizzas. So don't do that for A. Thank you for the advice. Featuring Lucas Clark and Nigel Romaine. Tell me more about these lizard overlords. Now introducing your host, Tanner Retz. All right, boys, let us begin week six of the Bring Your Lunch Pail Sports Podcast. It's good to have you guys back. It's been a minute, huh? Yeah, it's been a few. We missed you you all week, Tan. Been too busy uh, scratching out my March Madness bracket to (laughs) care about anything else. A lot of red on that bracket, in case any of you were wondering. Aaron Rodgers wasn't the only one in a dark room this past week. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is I, your host, Tanner Rutz, alongside we got Nigel Romaine, also known as Jimmy D, Sausage Fingers, Hampstead Romaine Jr. the third, the Beef Lobster, and we got Lucas Clark over there. You guys should see Luke right now. He's all cozy right now. He's got a new mic stand. He's been, he's able to sit back, kick back, relax while we record this one. We're no longer sitting at a a little table, all confined. Confined. We are uh, we're ready to go, man. Let's we're ready to fire on all cylinders. Shout out Shane Mo for the new mic setup. Let's go. So. I'm sure all my followers on Instagram was seeing my uh, my awesome trip that I had this last time I was at work, and uh, got to watch a little bit of college baseball. Got to watch the uh, WBC finals, USA versus Japan, and boys, it was lit. It was pretty, a pretty, pretty good time to be able to just like the entire week just getting involved in baseball while you know on the road for work. Um. Let me tell you this: We got to get out to more to some more uh, UW baseball games because college baseball is so much fun to watch. It's just a combination of at least the game I saw. So I was out in Louisiana. I was out in Lafayette, Louisiana, watching the University of Louisiana go against Arkansas State. Our raging Cajuns, raging Cajuns, baby. Was that against the Red Wolves? It was the Red Wolves, that's Red, right. Red Wolves of Arkansas State. I was going to say real quick here, uh, uh, Tanner was talking about Luke's, Luke's uh, vibe right now. Tanner's got the Louisiana Raging Cajun baseball sweater on, all cozy boyed out. Oh, yeah. Looking good right now. Number one fan of the uh, Raging Cajuns. But uh, So the story behind how I end up showing up to both of these games, but the first one being the Louisiana game, every time I get into a town and I have just kind of like a break when I'm on the road for work, I will Google baseball in that general area to see if there's any minor league teams, college teams. Obviously, I know where the professional teams are at, but it sometimes it's like pretty hit and miss. Sometimes you end up finding a really good game to go to, and that's what I did. I was going out trying to find a nice establishment like BJ's or Applebee's to eat at, and in the meantime, during that Google search, I looked up you know, Lafayette baseball, didn't even think about the University of Louisiana being there, and they had a, a three-game series over the weekend. I'm like, dude, I have to get to one of these games. So went out to the University of Louisiana, checked out their campus, nice little quaint campus, and nice stadium, nice ballpark, and just I was the first person in the stands. I was there right when they opened the doors. <laughs> yeah, how early were you there, Tanner? Uh, 
as soon as they opened the doors. I mean, it was probably like three an, hours before first pitch. I think it was an hour and a half before the game. And I was out there sitting there looking like a scout, arms crossed, sitting in the in the seats by myself, watching the uh, Arkansas State boys go through their fungo drills and, uh, you know, taking notes from my own coaching experience of, you know, how I want to run my C team here, you know, sometime in the in the future when I get back into the coaching world. Our future Little League squad is going to have the tightest infield practice you've ever seen. That's a fact. There's no doubt. But, dude, it's just a fun game. So once the game actually got going – and, you know, all the the parents and stuff that were there no longer thought of me as a scout. I was able to sit back, relax, and watch them just just a combination of some small ball man, a little bit of good pitching. I mean, I'm still convinced that I could go out there and go yard in any of those kids because they're all meat. But with that said. They're all meat. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your scholarship. <laughs> meat. But, dude, they're out there. They're laying down bunts. They're out there stealing. But in that same game, your your raging Cajuns go out there with four dingers, and I had to get going because I had to get make it back to the hotel because out in Lafayette, I don't know if everyone knows this, Uber is really hard to come by out there. So I was kind of committed to walking to the stadium and back, which was about a three-mile walk. So I had to make time to be able to get back to the hotel. But it was, the I believe, the bottom of the seventh, and the bases were loaded. I'm like, I cannot leave until this inning's over. And of course, the uh, one of their, I think it was their first baseman, just a big hoss, just comes up and just hits a grand slam, clears the bases, puts them up eleven to four, and that was good enough for me. I'm like, this was awesome. That's worth the price of admission. <laughs> yes, just that one at bat. Yeah, it was sweet. And then uh, I also just appreciated too the uh, the music lineup that they had for the Raging Cajuns, all old country music, a little bit of CCR. You know, down by the bayou type of vibe. It was really thoroughly enjoyed myself. And so a few days go by. I'm on my last day of my work trip. And uh, we end the trip in Miami. And everything that we do, there's no schedule to it. It's like you know the night before. So there's really no planning that goes into any of the little adventures you have outside of work. You just show up where you go and that's it. And uh, so we land in Miami. It's about 6 o'clock. And I'm like, man. I'm pretty sure the WBC finals is tonight and I know it's in Miami. Let's just do another quick Google search and see what's going on. And I'm like putting stuff away for work, like, you know, trying to end the day. And I I see that it is in fact that night and it's at seven o'clock. And so I immediately just rush, finish what I'm doing, get an Uber down to the hotel, throw all my stuff into the hotel. I just have stuff thrown everywhere like the Tasmanian devil Get into uh, get into my Uber to head over to the stadium. It's only like three miles away, but of course there's a wreck on the uh, interstate to head over to the stadium. So I'm sitting there just like, just like you know, get yeah. I'm just getting anxious because all I want like I I'm really as you guys know from the Louisiana story. I like being there two hours early, it's bare like, minimum. It's been established. Yeah, I got to go out there and I got to you know I got to scout things out and. Uh, so I'm rushing over there, and it's already like 7.15, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to miss like at least the first inning, if not the first two. And I am I had to look like a maniac because everyone else is all casual, just like walking up to the stadium. I'm literally like speed walking, rushing past every single person, and I'm in the very back end of the nosebleeds where my seats are because I just bought a ticket last second. And so I'm just rushing by these people going up to like the little circular case to get up to the top. And people are looking at me like I'm a psycho because I'm just balls to the wall. 
get I get up to my section and right then and there, Mookie Betts, which was the leadoff hitter for USA, and USA was the visiting team for that game. Um, he gets called up, and I make it right in time for first pitch. And I did not leave my seat that entire game because I didn't want to miss a moment of it. The energy at that game was electric. It was insane seeing like just two different sides, especially for Team Japan. Uh, but just to see two sides being so passionate about like their countries like playing each other and just wanting that wanting that dub for the homeland. And while Japan's up to the plate, they have like a band out in left center field beating on war drums as their batters uh, are in mid of bat. Like they're batting and they're like war drums are going off, horns are going off. And it was just a different side of baseball that I haven't seen before. And it just made it a lot of fun. It was kind of, it was a fun game, but I think just the energy in itself made the game like 10 times better. And of course, if you watch the game or if you've just, I mean, if you haven't seen the headlines and you listen to this podcast, like you're living under a rock, I guess. But uh, of course we had the ending of Mike Trout versus uh, Shohei Otani. Otani. And dude, you, you just couldn't, you couldn't, come up with a better way than the game besides you know if Mike Trout would have just hit a bomb and took it into extra or took it down to the bottom of the ninth and yeah, maybe had argue that would have been better <laughs> yeah. if, if Trout could have if Trout could have hit a dinger or they didn't roll into that double play right before and so he had a chance yeah to, if he had a runner on to just drive one but of course way, of course team scenario of course team USA like winning would have been that had been the ideal situation, but it was just so perfect to have those two come up and just the tension in the, in the stadium was crazy of just like, cause it could just go either way. I mean, you have two powerhouses going up against each other and you really couldn't guess. And then I don't know what that, cra- what was that crazy stat with? It's only been 24 times. Yeah. What was it? It, it said Mike Trout in his entire major league career has only uh, been out on three swinging strikes 24 times in whatever 3000 plus at bats that he's had. Um, and this was one of those, one of those 24 times in his, his career. So extre- got to be loving extremely, that extremely rare occurrence to have Mike Trout strike out on three swinging strikes. When, uh, when the angels win 80 games this year, I'm sure Otani will be reminding Trout that it wasn't his fault. And that, and that, that was proof. All right, Trout's got to do more for that team to get him over that 80-win hump. <laughs> but, I mean, man, just what it was just one of those things that was just being at the right place at the right time, and it just worked out perfectly, and I was just so stoked. I was bummed you guys weren't there. Um, it would have just made it even 10 times better. But uh, were you guys able to watch it from home? Yeah, so I watched I watched the last inning from home. I was listening to most of the game on the radio I was out walking around and listening um but first off I want to say that I'm extremely jealous I want that noted uh this was my plan for my 33rd birthday for about six months and it didn't end up coming to fruition and Tanner gets to walk into that so um jealous at least least someone got (laughs) yeah at least someone got to live I, I got to live vicariously through Tanner telling the stories but um yeah, seemed, you know, couldn't ask for a better matchup. It ends up being a 3-2 game. All the 
all the stars showed up. You you had the drama in the eighth inning with Schwarber hitting a dinger and really crushing it out of the park on that one and re- setting the table for the you know the bottom of the ninth or top of the ninth I guess with uh, Trout and Otani coming up against each other. So uh, really really awesome game. Yeah, it seems like uh, to just go back to kind of your original point about the atmosphere surrounding the game. It's just that it seems like the report cards are in and like the World Baseball Classic really generated a lot of excitement that it should have always had, but it seems like the the teams are a lot more invested. I think we could all say that Team USA could be more invested, at least on the pitching side, and that's a whole other topic because like obviously their their lineup is stacked top to bottom, but their pitching leaves a little bit to be desired especially in the front end, the starting pitching. But, yeah, it was awesome. I I think I started watching about the fifth inning or so. I kind of missed the beginning because I was driving home. But, yeah, good game, really good energy. Hard to capture some of the, like, drum like the drum aspect that's going on. I think they kind of turned that down for the TV broadcast, which I don't know why because it sounds awesome. But good game, a lot of good games throughout the entire thing a lot of a lot of ups and downs i don't want to shift the conversation too much uh but within the moving back from the championship game is that uh uh jose jose altuve getting hurt in the series before against venezuela getting hit in the hands that's interesting and implications for the mariners yeah uh, since obviously he's in Big a division time. edwin diaz getting hurt celebrating but it seems like though that like it's kind of interesting because I haven't heard, I haven't heard Edwin Diaz or Altuve talk about it. But the general sentiment you get from all clubs in this is it's like all those guys really wanted to be there. You obviously never want to get hurt, but it's like it's kind of cool and interesting that I don't think any of them regret their decision to go play because they got hurt. And yeah. hopefully that's the sentiment moving forward when the next World Baseball Classic that it's like. You can get hit in the hands just as easily at a spring training game. Yeah, you can that's, get hurt. That's one of those. It's a baseball injury. Like pitch comes inside, it's unfortunate. You don't get out of the way. That could that could happen any time in baseball. The Eddie Diaz thing, that's just a freak accident. You you yeah. probably you probably never see anything like that again. You know how well, all, you say that, yeah, but it, yeah, it I know I know that happening. kicker that kicker had it happen a couple of years ago too. In Kendry Kendry's Morales had it. happen. Oh, that's right, Kendry. Remember Morales. when he hit yeah, the walk-off hit a, hit a ball walk-off and, then, and, and then they're yeah. slapping him on the helmet at home plate, and he breaks <laughs> yeah. his ankle. Yeah, these baseball players need to uh, need to be careful when they're touching home plate, Soft. apparently. But yeah, I. I, we talked about this a couple weeks ago with or it might have even been our first podcast talking about baseball like the atmosphere and like leaning into that and I think you got to experience a little of what I was talking about Tanner is, is that let's make baseball fun like that atmosphere and like having war drums and ha- you know having having people cheering and chanting in between pitches and like when when they're uh, when they're on defense or when their players up to bat whatever it is it's like that's what make that's what's gonna make baseball fun, and that's what the rest of the world's doing with baseball. And for some reason, we're not all entirely behind that yet. But I think I think that's hopefully the future of of the game is it's kind of moving that way. And the World Baseball Classic is a, a great example of how it can look. Yeah, I mean to go along with two things that you guys were saying there, as far as the injuries are concerned, I know that's like something that's a concern for a lot of clubs is that. 
they are worried about their players getting hurt during me- like what are quote unquote meaningless games. But I mean, Reese Hos- Hoskins, what was it? The day after the WBC finals, he tears he tore his ACL right on I a non yeah. Like it wasn't even like it was one of those freak accident things again. I don't even think it was during a play. He just happened to tear it like just moving wrong. And I mean, Justin Turner, he's not out for any crazy amount of time, but that dude took a ball to the face. I mean, yeah, you showed us that picture yesterday. It was <laughs> yeah. mangled. Yeah, he was out for two weeks. I mean, things happen all the time. So I think that Team USA moving forward. When's the next one? Two thousand twenty-six. Um, yeah, yeah for, it's every three years. So it's I mean, it's three years. Yeah, it's three years. Okay. USA dominates that if they have like their star pitchers there. I mean, there's but, no question. But but I do think, like, uh, I think it's really good. Obviously, I'm rooting for Team USA, but, like, I think Japan really needed this one, and they really got a chance to showcase the fact that, like, there's a lot of really good players playing in the Japanese Baseball League. We can get into a few of them here in a second. But they have a lot of good talent. Like, we could, we could say that USA would have dominated if they had their best pitchers, and they probably would have. Like, that's probably fair. But it's not, like... Japan is no slouch. They have top talent. They have top young talent. The the pitcher and the the second yeah. coming of or Japanese Babe Ruth. Like I think I think young. the top the top end talent, the margin is getting slimmer and slimmer. Like I, obviously the US has more more overall like more MLB ready baseball players, but the top talent is right there. And it's and it's not just you know, not just Japan, like all those teams, even, you know, it's like Mexico was a whisker away from beating Japan the night before um, with the true Mexican, Randy Rosarena. And, you know, all those teams, the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, like small, tiny little countries that all have top-tier talent. And so it's it's all good for baseball at the end of the day. I think baseball is a winner from uh, from what I saw of the World Baseball Classic, they had good viewership. I think I saw it. I saw that that Japan semifinal game. I haven't seen what the final was, but the semifinal game had like fifty million viewers or something like that in Japan, which is half as large as the Super Bowl. I think the Super Bowl had like one ten or something yeah. like that, and this year and and in Japan alone, there were fifty million viewers for that semifinal game. Like that's huge numbers. Well, here's a fun here's a fun little stat for you that I saw the other day that uh, apparently approximately ninety seven point four of all TVs in Japan were tuned into the uh, at least into the last inning with Otani versus Trout. Wow. So like, it, I mean, when you were when you were at the game too, dude. I mean, you could feel like. Japan wanted that, dude. There was a lot of people that were rooting for Japan that traveled. I mean, the hotel was saying that there was tons of Japanese people that were staying at the hotel that came there just for that game. Like, it it meant the world to them. But, I mean, and to go along with the atmosphere thing that just made it fun, the other thing I would add to it was it was so cool, too, like, with the war drums and stuff going on. But they also had, like, the Japanese flags are waving around in the stands and, like, you know, of course, we had some American flags out there too, but I mean, it was just like, like I couldn't say. There's no other word I can use rather than just electric. It it was insane, and like it's just to see like how engaged fans were for a baseball game too. I mean, typically you go to a Mariners game, and granted, like if you're going out to a random Tuesday game, like you know, not everyone's going to be fully engaged. Like most people, not most. But, you know, those bozos out there are going to go out to the pen and just get some beers. We Tanner can... loves the pen. No. 
team pinch. But it's like when you're like you look around and see like the people that are sitting around you, no one's on their phones. The only time they're on the phone is between innings. Like everyone is actually taking the time to like put the phone away unless there's like you know, Trout comes up to the plate and everyone's putting their phone out to like record what's happening. But there wasn't anything like there no one seemed that distracted. Everyone seemed very in tune with what was going on. Also, something that was kind of fun I didn't mention to you guys. Uh, I didn't get one because I didn't know what they were. And again, I was like just basically sprinting up to my seat when I got there. But they were handing out these little uh, uh, like wristband things that light up. And they were coordinated that they would all light up and do the same things at the same time. So the entire stadium was just like flashing like red, white, and blue. Like when U.S. would do something or like when Japan did something, it was like red and white. Seems like a seizure hazard. But yeah, that sounds pretty cool. That's cool. It was cool. But it wasn't like like overwhelming. It was just like like you could just see it kind of going on. It was just – it just added to it. That's cool. So I have a question with all of that in mind is that obviously the World Baseball Classic is more of a world event, obviously. So there there is that. But does the atmosphere that's created there – speak to the fact and we can kind of roll this in maybe to some march madness talk if we have to but it's just that i don't think anyone can argue that like baseball playoffs they play series which are really like it is the true like way to determine who's the better team right you win a best of five series or a best of seven series there's no way you can be like well i still think we were the better team like no you had you had Up seven to games. seven games, yeah. but uh, loser go home single elimination tournaments are electric because yeah. literally every play matters. Because if you lose one game, you go home. Yeah, and so like obviously like the NBA, the NBA finals, and and baseball uh, World Series are based off of series, but then you have other sports like the NFL. Or I guess hockey's also a series based one, or like March Madness, where it's single single elimination, and it seems like the stakes are just a little bit higher because there's only one like because you only have one chance. Yeah, you can kind of get lost in the sauce sometimes in a series. Like, well, we didn't have our best game today. We just have to come out and win the next one. So I don't I don't, I don't know what you guys have any thoughts on that. That I'm, I'm just curious. I don't know that baseball would ever shift to that type of thing. Obviously, because you play 162 games, but I do think that's what's interesting about a single elimination tournament in a sport that is typically a series-based sport is that there's just so much drama in every play. Yeah, because you don't get that chance to run it back. Yeah, I don't. I don't think baseball is ever going to move to that necessarily. I could see maybe. I don't know. Maybe if you did some kind of like. Champions League, like for soccer reference, Champions League style, where you have the top four U.S. teams, like locally, and the top uh, club teams in Japan, and top club teams, and like do some kind of like world club like tournament, tournament sort of thing and do do something like that where you do a small round robin that would be super interesting much like when the sounders yeah exactly CONCACAF exactly tournament. much like it's more of a soccer style thing i i feel like the the super cup uh kind of thing but um tough to do when they already play 162 games yeah i, I don't know where i love you that would, idea though where you would fit that in but maybe maybe you could have some kind of some kind of situation where it's every three years and it's 
right after the season ends or something like that or during spring training it's the year the year before the world baseball classic you do the top top two nl teams top two al teams and and then same for all the rest of the countries and do some kind of tournament like that i'm sure it would be wildly popular people people would enjoy that um so yeah i don't know it's an interesting interesting thought for sure I wonder too, it would be hard to do, but even having like a tournament style for like add a few more teams into like a wild card bracket and turn it into like a like a, a tournament style where those teams have to battle it out for yeah, like a play in yeah. game. That's what, that's what the but, NBA already yeah. does for their last, for the eighth seed. Yeah, is that you kind of expand it out a little bit. Yeah. That could be fun. Like the, your division yeah. winners obviously are in, but then you have this crop of teams from the AL and the NL that play. Four, four teams, you know, to single it down to one and just do a single elimination. Yeah, that bracket. I could see the MLB doing because they've already kind of expanded the playoffs as it is doing the wild card playoff. If you just if you did four teams or something like that and did did you know one versus four, Mike two Trout versus might three, finally get a playoff game in. Yeah, because it, it's just more. That's just more games that you get to watch at the end of the day, and you probably get more viewership too for those games that probably don't get a lot of viewing because. You know, it's lower tier teams. Yeah. So it might actually add a little bit more, you know, to it, a little bit more excitement around it. 12 team playoff to get into the final wild card <laughs> spot. All right. Just every team gets in. <laughs> yeah. That's what Speaking saying. of tournaments, let's jump into the Monday morning meeting. Need a recap from the so called experts? It's time for a Monday morning meeting. All right, give me a recap of March Madness, boys. Tell me about how well your brackets are doing right now and the uh, uh, how the tournament's going. Yeah, we should just edit this part out. <laughs> did, did we? Is it confirmed that we post our last uh, our last podcast where we did our tournament breakdown? Because I'd prefer that that never got listened to. But first thing I want to say is I could not have been more right about Furman, and that's it. That's the only thing that I was right about. Also, I, I guess I was right in. Uh, not having much faith in Purdue. I didn't have them losing in the first round uh, to Fairleigh Dickinson, a one o- or a 16 over one seed. Shout out Fairleigh Dickinson. Uh, but yeah, my bracket is completely shot. Um, I think Luke, yours is also completely shot. Yeah, uh, the, the much- nail in the coffin <laughs> yeah. was Alabama losing uh, earlier today. Yeah, it's been a it's been a really brutal. Uh, brutal bracket going on here brutal tournament for my bracket but i think it speaks to what we talked about last week which is it's kind of a it's a there's more parity in college basketball than there's ever been we're we were looking at the uh the teams that are left here and you've got you've got what's one three seed you've got a four seed a nine seed three seed um what else do we got i'm missing it you've got a six seed in creighton five seed san diego state five seed miami two seed texas so all the top teams are out there's no more one seeds you've got a lot of five six and nines that are that are left and so it just i think it just speaks to the parody in college basketball these days guys are able to stick around there's an nil money um and one and done you know those one seed teams that have one and done guys 
anybody can lose any given night. And so, um, yeah, it's interesting right now. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. Like I said, just kind of parlaying the conversation before about series versus single elimination is that it's like Princeton doesn't have to beat Arizona two out of three games. You just have to beat them once. I don't think if they played three times, ten times, Princeton probably wins one or two of those games. Lucky for them, they played them once and they got their one win out of the way right away and like good for them. Um, but yeah, I think you're just seeing it more and more. It's like you ask somebody five or 10 years ago, like, when do you think you'll see a 16 seed beat a one seed? They'd probably be like, probably never. And now we've had two of them within the the last last three years. Last. Yeah. I think it's a little longer than that, but was that 2018? I think that, uh, whatever, whatever the school, UMBC, beat yeah, Virginia. Beat Virginia. Yeah. Uh, but, and now you've had two of them and Nigel, and I've kind of talked about this before is that I think it's good for the sport, but yeah, you're seeing a lot more of it is that like some of these smaller schools where they actually have guys that stick around for four years, kind of like your more vintage college basketball back in the day, guys didn't really leave. I heard Paul Pierce talking about this on the radio the other day that like he, I think he left Kansas uh, after his junior season, he's like back in, and I think that was the 96 draft, 97, 98, somewhere right in there. And he's like, back in my day, like leaving early was leaving after your junior year. Like Kevin Garnett kind of shifted things in 95 when he went straight to high school. He's like, leaving after your junior year was the thing. Now guys obviously are one and done and you don't see, you don't see guys stick around though, but at some of these smaller programs, you actually have complete teams that guys stick around, they form bonds and they become good teams. And when it comes tournament time, you know, like that, that Purdue game, that Purdue game, it was wild to watch when they, when they lost because they're a one seed playing a 16. And the last, the last eight minutes of the game, I watch every second, of the last eight minutes, they couldn't get the ball to Edie, which is obviously a problem. None of those guys look like they all look like they're looking to the guy next to him to go make a shot. Yeah, nobody wanted to score. And then all you see from Fairly Dickinson is that like just a well-regulated team that like they knew how they wanted to draw up a shot for their players and when their when their time was called, they took the shot. Purdue just looked scrambled like yeah. Who who's our playmaker here outside of Edie cuz all of a sudden the guy that's 7-4 they can't figure out a way to get him the ball like and they're just looking around at each other like who's who's going to make the play and it's like that's you can't do that cup tournament time. Like you yeah. gotta have that figured out. You've already played thirty plus games, and so I think you see more of that though with some of these teams. They're super talented, but sometimes when the pressure gets turned up, guys start looking across yeah, the court like elsewhere. who's yeah. who's the playmaker, who's gonna do it, and sometimes it ends up being nobody. So looking at our uh, bring your lunch pail bracket challenge going on here, just for a quick update. Uh, we've got, we've got Chris. I assume that's Uncle Stinky Chris. Um, do we know this? Uh, leading, leading right now. I don't think so. Whoever it is, Chris is in the lead. Uh, Seamus. Uh, Chris. We don't know this, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure uh, Chris is one of our number one listeners right now. That's actually one of Kaylee's good friends that they worked uh, together uh, back in the day. 
And it seems like he's a very engaged listener. So, Chris, thank you for listening and also for filling out a bracket. It looks like you might be... uh, well, Chris yeah. had Arizona. Chris, had, yeah, all, so. Chris is in the oh. lead, but has Arizona winning, so he might be in trouble. Never mind, Chris. Suck it, dude. You lost. So uh, the only other person right now that has a champion still in, or a their champion that they chose still in play is Vinny, who's in third place. So um, And he, he picked Gonzaga. And so um, he's got a pretty good chance here if Gonzaga can get to the next round. I think he's probably going to be pushing it pushing it for uh, the points lead there so uh shout out Vinny. congrats on being the only one that uh, still has a possible champion pick nice job vin it pains me it pains me that you pick gonzaga because i hate gonzaga so much but it's looking like a really good pick and it's probably fair to say at this point i mean i don't know san diego state and miami have also looked really good here but gonzaga seems like they're the team to beat like they they look really good that game against ucla that was madness yeah what a game the fact that ucla couldn't didn't have a bucket for 12 minutes the 12 the final 12 of third the 12 of 14 minutes of that game is absolutely asinine considering they were up what 15 16 points uh, going out or coming out of halftime there and then just completely fell apart it's it's funny because uh i think i heard this on the radio because i i i popped out into my car probably to make a beer run uh at halftime because <laughs> i didn't realize this when i was watching it but obviously ucla was up 13 at halftime gonzaga actually had a higher field goal percentage in that half and i've seen this from gonzaga before against the huskies specifically is that like they're obviously a really well coached team UCLA had a near flawless first half that game. They scored 46 points. Yeah. I think I heard him say on the radio that like they only had like three games in the entire season outside of the tournament where they scored over 80 points in a game. So they're not known for – UCLA is not really known for scoring a ton of points. They're more of like a hard-nosed defensive team and an efficient offense you know, that wins games in the 60s and 70s. But they scored 46 in the first half. And I've seen the Huskies do the same thing against Gonzaga. They're only up 13, though. Like, when you have that good of a half, you need to be up by over 20. Because they're such a good coach team, or well-coached team, I guess would be proper English, that if you let, like, 13 is just not enough. And they were shooting the ball well. And then you saw it in the second half. I do feel bad for UCLA, though. Kind of said it in our bracket preview is that they suffered a lot of injuries. A Dembona played the first weekend but i didn't see him play at all in that game and drew timmy's a really good player i think if a dem bonus in there he gives him problems he has a lot of swagger and athleticism on the court i think he probably swats a few of his shots gets gets a little energy on the team but like they didn't have an answer for timmy yeah timmy was dominant he's the only reason they were even close to being 13 points down at half. I think he had 20, 21 in the first half of their probably 30 total points that they scored. Yeah, and then he had like 10 points in the first like five minutes of the second half. <laughs> yeah, he, well, 
Drew Timmy, uh, you know, he's he's always in the in the paint, walking, taking 15 steps to get his buckets. A dude travels and gets more and, foul calls than anyone in college basketball. But I guess when you've been there for 18 years, yeah, you, his 33rd year of eligibility. Yeah, you build a rapport yeah. with the referees when you're the yeah. same age as them, and you go, I don't know, to play parcheesi with them at the fucking. <laughs> casino afterwards yeah. or whatever he does at quill seat whatever here uh he's got a he's got a casino he's got a casino deal yeah deal on the he, east side but i don't know him him and the refs are at the at the sports book later that night and they get it figured out but yeah but good, timmy, good had, timmy, had a, yeah, timmy had a good game scored 36 points what 13 rebounds nice game overall for him played pretty much every minute of the game yeah, and, Vin, go, uh, ahead, go ahead and uh, remind us what your mailing address is. We'll get that gift sent out to you pretty soon here. <laughs> How about that? We'll get him a bus pass because he's walking all over the court. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bologna but sandwich bus pass official. Excited to see the rest of these games. I think it's I think it's good for college basketball that you're seeing a lot more parity and you're seeing lower seeds find their way in. Gives me hope as a Husky fan that if they could right the ship that, you know, maybe they can sail in as a – seven seed and actually make a splash in the tournament also that uh that final that final play or gonzaga's final shot i guess that they had strother yes strother gutsy call i i i don't think that was the exact call i don't think they had him shooting it from a, a step step and a half inside of the inside of half court but i i said it when as soon as they, as soon as he went up for the shot, like that's what you're settling for. And then of course he just drains it. Uh, Bottoms. Go, yeah, yeah, exactly. Nothing but net, easy money. And, uh, and that's, isn't that the same play that uh, Villanova ran a couple years ago to, isn't that the, the, um, what's, what's his name? Right. Or whatever the coach, like that's the play that they ran to Jay, beat right. Gonzaga in, in the finals. Wasn't it? Well, Baylor beat him in the final. Oh, I guess Villanova did yeah, beat him too. Villanova beat him too, or was that yeah. in the? Yeah, no, yeah, I think you're right. About I think that. it was the exact same little like like similar, shovel pass that similar right back to right back to the yeah. inbound passer. Which that's the other thing that we were talking about during that game. Not sure why UCLA had been pressing at the end of that game, and Gonzaga let them back in. They were down eight or nine. They scored like ten with, points in like yeah, fifty seconds. Yeah, in, with less than a minute left, and then on that that play, you don't press. You let them go right down the court, get the exact play that they wanted to run. Dude steps in, drills it, rest is history. But yeah, I think he shot that one a little deeper than the coach probably would have liked. But at the same time, I, it's in I'm rhythm. Not, so I'm not mad about the strategy too because of the way Gonzaga had been rebounding offensively in that game. I think you probably think like, all right, Strother likes his shot. Like let's get him a shot, even though Gonzaga did not shoot well from three point line that game, but. Get the shot up early because you might be able to just get an offensive rebound, Timmy yeah. down there, and just get a put back. Yeah. And I think they're down two, right? So Yeah. Yeah, you would have had it. So you would have at least had a chance to tie it. So I don't know. Congrats to Gonzaga. They're looking like the strongest team, I would think, left in the tournament. Although like I said Miami had a pretty dominant performance today. We'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got to say about that. Let's jump into the water cooler talk. Oh my God. Did you hear what happened? What's the big idea? The national headlines are in. Entertainment news. 
It's time for the water cooler talk. All right, we got water cooler talk. This is the national headlines. We got Mr. Aaron Rodgers out of his darkness retreat looking for a new home. It's looking like he's going to be going from the big cheese to the big apple. Yeah, I'm uh, I mean it, he's he's officially announced that that's where he wants to go. Um I think it's a fine landing spot for him. I think it, it, there's definitely some uh some interesting pieces there for him. My my fantasy my fantasy uh, keeper has just gotten a whole lot more interesting with with uh, Garrett Wilson being on that team. I think all of a sudden he might have to be my keeper there. But I'm really at this point I'm just curious to see what the uh, what the package is going to be and how how bad the Jets are going to have to leverage their future in order to get Aaron Rodgers for one season, maybe two. So I think that's the the real fun part at this point. I don't know if it's true if I just misread this or misheard it, but I'm pretty sure when I was at the gym the other day, I was seeing on ESPN that they were thinking it may not even cost the Jets a first-round pick. Did you guys see anything about this? I mean, I've I've seen a lot of conjecture around it just because it seems like, depending on what side you ask, I think this is the funniest thing about the whole thing. I think both sides think that they have more leverage because yeah. it's like the Jets are like, well – he doesn't want to play for the Packers and you don't want to pay him that money. You already said that you want to play love instead. So you don't want him. So like, why would we give you a King's ransom for something you don't want? But the jets have already missed out on the whole QB free agency carousel and have basically put all of their eggs in the Aaron Rodgers basket. So if I'm the Packers would be like, you desperately need him unless you want to play Zach Wilson again. Like, so you need him. Well, like, so, so it's kind of funny because if I get just, if you ask one side or the other, they both seem to think that they have the better, uh, leverage as John Travolta would say in a battlefield earth, a classic, but it's all about leverage and they both think that they have the better position, which I just think is hilarious. Cause I, I don't know. I just like to see the infighting between the two of them, but. I, I don't think I don't think the Jets are gonna get or the Packers are going to give him up for not a lot. I think I think they want a lot for it. I, I think the Jet like the Jets have basically made their bed that they have to have him. Yeah, and so I, I, I don't know. Like, I think the Jets think they're gonna only have to give up a third or fourth round pick <laughs> to get him. What? With that said, too, do you guys think that Jordan Love is ready to take over the reins and be a starting quarterback in the NFL? I think I I don't I don't know. It's just like I haven't seen enough of him to to know. But I did. I was listening to somebody recently who was talking who was talking to Charles Woodson when he was on the Packers because he was there, and basically he's like. A lot of the times you can tell if the backup guy or, or the quarterback in waiting, it's like the best scouting report you can get that that guy is ready to be a star, go ask the players on the defense of that team because they see him in practice every day. And when Aaron Rodgers was coming up behind Brett Favre, everybody on that defense was like, yeah, we know what Aaron Rodgers can do. Like that's, we get it. Like that guy's a star. It's like you go ask the 
players on the Packers defense right now about Jordan Love, you don't really get that impression. You don't hear the defensive players speaking or giving him his uh, verbal bouquets about how he's looked so good in practice. So doesn't mean that doesn't mean that he's not ready, but I don't know. I would trust Charles Woodson on that take that your defensive players could probably tell you a lot about what your quarterback room looks like because they see him every day in practice. And if they feel strongly about his abilities, they'd probably be talking it up. You kind of heard with that with Jimmy G the whole time, right? You saw when Jimmy, they wanted, they wanted to play Trey Lance and I still like Trey Lance, but that's a whole other thing. But the whole time, as soon as Trey Lance got hurt and like Jimmy G is like all those guys in that San Francisco defense are like, Jimmy's our guy. Yeah. We trust them. And so like, you know, he might not light the world on fire, but all those guys are like, yeah, we know, like we got Jimmy's back. We know, we know what he's about. We have a ringing endorsement for him. Haven't heard that same kind of support for Jordan Love. Doesn't mean it won't come, though, once they actually get into the season or into OTAs and training camp. I feel like Jordan Love is just, he's Zach Wilson three years earlier. You know, he's the hes the mid-major college How dare you. college player that is uh, that had a really nice pro day, and he, he fits all these bills. And, and yeah, but Jordan Love has, is big. Yeah, he's he's definitely bigger. He's six four, and Zach Wilson is not. And he'll run. He he could run. Yes, is is Jordan Love but, into moms? <laughs> we his he, last he name's lo- Love. He so, loves yeah, moms. Maybe, yeah, moms <laughs> he, love him. Yeah, he might. <laughs> but I just feel like he's the he's that same that same profile that that he wasn't he wasn't good enough to be a first round pick. He's he's all he's all pro day guy like. I don't know if that's true, though. They obviously took him in the first round. And I think if you ask Jordan Love and a lot of people around his camp, he well, he actually was expected to get – he thought he was going to get drafted higher than the Packers took him. Much like Aaron Rodgers. They, it, <laughs> I say, there's like some crazy par- – because like, there's crazy parallels because, yeah, they drafted him in the first round. He kind of slipped, air quotes. I, You know, that could be up for debate whether Jordan Love slipped, you know, into the 20s of the first round. And then he's the quarterback and waiting, and then they push out their veteran and trade him to the uh, trade <laughs> him to the, to Jets. the Jets. Yeah, like I said, uh, how, go go. How take... long until until uh, there is a naughty picture sent to a news media person by better Aaron than Rogers. that? Go take your mortgage payment and put it on the fact that uh, Aaron Rodgers will be the starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings in, <laughs> in two years. Yeah. I'm telling you, uh, time is a flat circle and Aaron Rodgers, like you live, you either die a hero or you lo- live long enough to become the villain. And he's just living out Brett Favre 2.0. And that's, what's going to happen. Take it to the bank. Did you guys watch much of Jordan love when he was in college? Did you guys have a take on him? Not really. He's one of those guys. I remember them talking about a lot, much like we kind of touched on this before is that it's always like, well, this draft class for quarterbacks seems like now it's like really been elevated, but it seems like it's always like, yeah, but next year's draft class is going to be really good at yeah. quarterback. Like it's always like, no, no, this this one's pretty good, but next year is going to be really good. And, and so they I play remember the season, and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, when all those guys were on the big stage, like they didn't really do anything. Yeah, and, and I, I, so like, I remember a lot of talk about Jordan Love going into his last year at Nevada, Utah State, Utah State, yeah same school yeah but uh yeah utah state so i remember a lot of talk and then i remember a lot of like 
Yeah, he was pretty good, but un- but fairly underwhelming. But much like you know, like I say all this, but you know, I've been on the Anthony Richardson bandwagon for a long time. Big guy, big arm, has what I would consider probably near elite level running ability at the NFL level. Like Jordan Love is a handful. He's a big guy. I think the biggest problem for a guy like Jordan Love is the fact is who is he going to throw the football to? They already got rid of Alan Lazard, who I don't even think is that good, but he was strides better than anybody Christian else. Christian Watson. That's true. I actually do like Christian Watson, and yeah. you were on that bandwagon. Yes, I was. He's not. <laughs> yeah, well, you can stay on it and <laughs> yeah, tell me. Yeah. Make him your keeper. I, I take it back. Chris, Jordan Love, take it to the bank, going to be the best quarterback, and uh, Christian Watson, my guy, is going to be uh, the next Justin Jefferson. Take it to the bank. Now, I... I, I'm just not sure about Jordan Love. I don't, I don't. I think we'll we'll find out soon enough. But I'm I just don't think he's. I'm 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 gonna have to see it to believe it at this point. I think he's the same like mid major mid major college guy that fits the athletic profile. We'll like see Josh if he's. Allen? Josh Josh Allen is a bit of an anomaly there, I'd say, but we'll see. It, they the Packers liked him enough to take him in the first round when they needed wide receiver help or any help anywhere else. So maybe they saw something that that I didn't. They probably did because we'll say, the, I think that they're uh, putting a little more time in the scouting department than the, I am. Yeah, but. the Packers haven't taken too many shots at quarterbacks over the last and they usually uh, hit yeah. twenty five years. Yeah, they usually but hit. They seem so, to hit. So yeah, like I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call it a bust. But I do think Jordan Love though. It seems hard for me to think that he's going to have an Aaron Rodgers type of entrance where he sits behind a legend and then steps in and instantly it looks like the right decision. He strikes me, if he is going to be a Josh Allen type, he strikes me as the type he's probably going to have to go through some growing pains this year and maybe even another season. But it'll eventually come if it does. But I'm going to come. But, <laughs> but I don't think it's going to be instant success and for him. Maybe, maybe uh, Matt Lafleur can uh, shape him into the type of quarterback. I, I get the idea that Matt Lafleur is probably the type of coach, much like Sean McVay type. He wants to run and wants to or wants Shanahan. To, yeah, or Shanahan. Like that's what I get the vibe of, and I think that's why originally when he first came there. Him and Aaron Rodgers didn't necessarily mesh on their ideas about how the offense should be running. And then I think he figured out, like, oh, I can hand the ball off to Aaron Jones and we can be really successful with this type of offense. And so maybe Matt LaFleur can can kind of get the best out of Jordan Love. And it's a situation where it's like, like the Rams had with Goff that doesn't matter who's at quarterback as long as they can hit a check down and get, you know get the ball to the running backs then they're going to be successful sprinkle in the yeah. fact that so that a, could be the case sprinkle in the fact that he's a running threat too and yeah like, exactly you can use his legs as well so but. i could see that being being a thing so we'll see i hate the packers but i also i think i think that uh nfl's better when the packers are good Every, you always need a villain so and people love him or hate him so it's either Either the Cowboys or the Packers have to be good so that you can either love them or hate them. So we'll see what happens there. 
We got to jump into two more quarterbacks, and then we need to talk about some Seahawks signings uh, these last few days. Lamar Jackson, kind of a wackadoodle situation there. What's the uh, status with that? Yeah, it seems like right now there's there's no movement on it, and it seems like a lot of this obviously stems from the fact that he still wants a fully guaranteed contract. But the the thing that I want to touch on with Lamar Jackson that I think is interesting because I've heard I've heard Dan Patrick talk about this, who's really the authority on everything sports related. And it kind of goes back to what Nigel was saying the last time we talked about Lamar is that he's his own agent. And like, you know, I kind of joke push back on that because I do think there's a lot of truth to the fact that in today's NFL with the NFL PA is that guys can represent themselves because these contracts like kind of already have like safeguard rails on it that like the amount of negotiating that you can do in certain sets, like it's kind of already laid out there, but Dan Patrick was kind of talking about this. I think it's an interesting point and it seems to really make sense. Is like the thing about Lamar Jackson right now, and it's so stagnant and why you have an agent is that your agent just like you have, there's no buzz around it. The most buzz that he has is that they're saying that there's collusion. Any other any other player, they have an agent, they have connections, and it's like, yeah. hey, Stephen A. Smith, first take, I want you to talk about how my client, Lamar Jackson, has interest from these teams. Create a narrative. Create this buzz. Create this pressure on it. Right now, he's his own agent. He has nobody really pimping his cause at all yeah it's it's sales 101 you have to create a sense of sense of urgency you know it's like you he can't control the narrative at all yeah all, the only narrative that's coming out is that he wants a fully guaranteed contract like deshaun watson and i all the owners are upset that they gave Desha- that jimmy haslam gave a fully guaranteed contract like that's bad business yeah and now he wants the same thing and i don't blame him because he's obviously a better player than Deshaun Watson and has a better resume. But the only narrative that's coming out of it is just that he wants a fully guaranteed contract. If you have an agent that can play the puppet master and pull the strings, you can create this buzz and this narrative that teams are interested and change the conversation in a way that you'll get your contract. Might not be fully guaranteed, but I feel like he's just really missing the mark on that. And maybe there is some collusion. I think there is collusion. The only collusion, though, is that no everybody's upset that they gave a fully guaranteed contract to Deshaun Watson, and nobody else in the league wants to set that precedent or double down on that precedent that guys should get those types of contracts. And so Lamar's just kind of lost in the ether right now, and I feel bad for him because like, he's obviously a great player and deserves a lot of money, but he's got to figure out a way to meet in the middle yeah, somewhere. Or, yeah. or maybe meet, not in the middle, but somewhere between the middle and what he wants at the top end. You know, meet 25% of the way. Yeah, well, uh, developing story here. I don't know if you saw this, Luke, but uh, just came out today or yesterday that the NFL issued a memo to all teams that uh, they're prohibited from communicating with a person by the name of Ken Francis, who appears to be serving as Jackson's representative and is not an NFLPA certified agent. So maybe he maybe he is trying to meet in the middle here with uh, his his own pseudo agent who uh, who's trying to co- or make these deals with NFL teams now. It's just 
it's just the whole thing's a bad idea. I feel like at this point he's he's mismanaged it. I, I, that's all I can really say about it. He should have had an agent. I think he'd be signed and he'd he'd have a bag of cash in his pocket right now and be set for life. And I think he will eventually still be set for life, but I think he's just losing dollars by the minute. You know? Yeah. Ulti- ultimately, he should probably just. He's probably probably wouldn't be in love with this, but go get a three year, hundred and fifty million dollar contract with major a hundred and thirty of it guaranteed. Hit the stay healthy for three seasons in a row and go hit the market again. Cause what is he twenty eight right now? Twenty seven? Yeah, something like that. So you could hit the market again at thirty one. You just got to stay healthy. Yeah, which obviously is going to be tough for him because. He runs the ball a lot. But. Yeah, and that's why teams don't want to pay him yeah, exactly. two hundred and fifty million dollar guaranteed yeah, contract exactly. because it's a double edged sword. Yeah, because he's he runs the ball a lot and is and that's prone what to makes injury. him a great player though. Yeah. So. Yeah, Luke, I think it goes back to your uh, your rental car uh, reference yeah. that you've used multiple times, and I think Lamar Jackson is an example of that right here in this moment. Yeah, I think he's, I exactly, I think he's the first like premier example of that. Run him into the ground. You got an MVP. You weren't able to win a Super Bowl, but I wouldn't say that that's Lamar Jackson's fault. You know, he's clearly one of the most talented players at the position. But you run him into the ground. He starts picking up some injuries. You franchise tag him, and they use that weird non-exclusive tag on him to see if they can maybe get some first-round picks out of it, but nobody's probably going to call them on that but you think maybe there's a chance but yeah use the franchise tag run them into ground some more and then rinse and repeat jimmy g off to the raiders i don't know if this is really a big headline story but do you guys think that they really gained anything out of this between going from Derek carr to jimmy g or is it just more of a situation where the head coach gets his guy to fit his system I think that's exactly what it is. I yeah. think I think Josh McDaniels has always been a big Jimmy G fan and even heard before that, you know, obviously there's some Tom Brady talk going there. But I'd heard that just from listening to the radio and shit, I don't have any sources to be clear. But <laughs> just from I'm listening hearing is it, is from, it from like my Josh McDaniel never I, I don't think Josh <laughs> yeah, I'm hearing from sources. Yeah. Now we don't sources know this. close to sources are telling me that Jimmy G <laughs> But that Josh McDaniels doesn't really – I don't think him and Tom Brady ever really got along super well. They obviously worked well together. But he always wanted Jimmy G. And I think that's – you're just kind of seeing the end of it. Is it like, yeah, I don't think him and Derek Carr got along and he always liked Jimmy G and the opportunity presented itself. Do I think Jimmy G is markedly better than Derek Carr? Not really. But I do think that Josh McDaniels thinks that he is. Yeah, and he at least has he has Super Bowl experience. He's been there. Yeah, he liked he liked him so much and knows Jimmy G's game so well that then he went out and traded Darren Waller away because we know how much Jimmy G likes his tight ends. Like, <laughs> yeah, get rid of that guy. But, but yeah, so I I don't know. It's that. If I'm Jimmy G, I'd be like, "Yay, I'm on the Raiders! Like I'm reunited." And like, and we're shipping out Darren Waller. I'm like, oh, <laughs> what the hell? You know that I can only throw checkdowns to tight ends, especially yeah. athletic ones. So yeah. let's just go ahead and get rid of my favorite target that I haven't even had a chance to throw to yet. 
I think it would have been interesting to see, like, if you could just rewind history, if they just, if the Patriots, if they would have done one less year of Tom Brady and, and put the reins off to Jimmy G, like, what you might have seen with that. You think that would have been the, I mean, it seems like that would have been the, the proper replacement for Tom Brady for that system, and maybe they could have found more success, and maybe he'd still be on that team right now. I don't think so only because I I do like Jimmy G and you know all he does is win but Belichick's a defensive coach and so is Matt Patricia who's their OC right now <laughs> but yeah. but the best thing that happened to Jimmy G was going and playing under Kyle Shanahan. I think a lot yeah. of I think a lot of what he does is because of Kyle Shanahan. I think he's just your prototypical top end game manager. Yeah. System quarterback, game manager. And so I, I do think that that's the best thing that could have happened to him is going and playing in Kyle Shanahan's offense. So we'll see now because now we're going to get that chance basically to see that Patriots scenario light because you have Josh McDaniels there. So Here's we'll the real see. question. Does Jimmy G start wearing eyeliner though as a – as a Las Vegas Raider now. Yes. I don't think he needs to. Because Carr definitely had the eyeliner game yeah, pretty but he, locked up. He needed so. something to spruce that grill up. Jimmy G's just like Greek God carved for marble. Like, I think he's fine. But imagine that is, with eyeliner. I was going to say, <clears throat> here's, there, here's my real concern. Is there anyone you'd rather tear up the Vegas Strip with than Jimmy G? That's, That's what I'm a saying. real question. That's what I'm saying. Is that how much time is he going to have to play football? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do you know how many do you know how many you know how many hotel rooms and porn stars there are in yeah, Vegas? That's what I'm saying. Enough for Jimmy. <laughs> Honest it's a question, dream scenario there, for him. Yeah. Hey, listeners, you guys can uh, you guys can uh, weigh in on this as well. Is there any other player in the NFL you'd rather tear up the Vegas strip with than Jimmy G? Because that seems like the best time to me. Let's what? get our uh, let's get our social media team to yeah, we'll get post our social that. Media team it, on that. It's like a symbiotic relationship, like the little feeder fish that's that swim. <laughs> exactly. on the shark. I'm trying to suckle off of Where, that. Where yeah, too. you just yeah. get the scraps that the shark like it just kind of like rolls off of their body. And your little sucker fish on the side, like that could be Guy Ferrari. Yeah, Nigel that's what I'm trying, yeah. The, the beef lobster out like, there swimming with the sharks. Like I get, I get, he's a professional. <laughs> I get he's a professional athlete, but his stamina's got to have some sort of cap to it. <laughs> at some at some point, he's got to call in the reinforcements, and that could be Nigel. Well, if uh, if Jimmy G's looking for an agent or a best friend, Jimmy, if you're listening, I'm, I'm ready to. Oh, Jimmy's I'm ready for to sure. Join your squad, to Jim. Can I call you Jim? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's uh, that sounds like a heck of a weekend. To me. I think I'm going to be a Raiders fan this year. Yeah, Hell yeah, absolutely. That's my AFC team. <laughs> Pick to click, Team Raiders. All right, Seahawks signings. We got. Let's just bundle these two together. We have Draymond Jones for a three-year, fifty-one million dollar deal, and then we also have Jaron Reed coming in. Both of them, the booster up the uh, defensive line, and Jaron Reed is coming in on a two-year, ten point eight million dollar deal. Not sure about the incentives and guarantees with these deals, but you guys like it? Buy or sell on this one? I'm buying on this one. I think that uh, number one thing that Seahawks need to overhaul, we talked about it before, was defensive line. So clearly they are doing that. They're getting rid of every D lineman that was that was on that team last year, at least interior guys, um, and and restocking the shelves. And so um, I think he overpaid maybe a little for for. Uh, 
Draymond, but overall, I think it's it was needed, and I don't think this stops you from continuing to do that in the draft. But I'm I'm buying and welcome back, Jaron Reed. Loved that guy. If he can come back and we can get some of that uh, some of that double digit sack swag that he had for the Seahawks his last year or two, I would love to see it. We need it big time. So um, yeah, I'm buying. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of curious to see how much Jaron Reed has left in the tank because he seems like he's been pretty nondescript as an interior D lineman ever since that huge season he had with the Seahawks. But I, I got my fingers crossed that he's probably a Clint Hurt guy and they probably have a good relationship and that's why he's coming back because I feel like when he left it wasn't necessarily on the best terms. Not horrible terms, but I'm sure now with Clint Hurt running the defense – so hopefully you can recapture some of that. Draymond Jones, yeah, I agree with Nigel. Probably, I think it's probably a little overpaid. I was kind of saying this the other day when we were riffing on this, is that it's not that it, it doesn't make it a bad signing by any means, but it's like I feel like I, re, I remember watching him at Ohio State and when he's coming into the draft, like some mock drafts having like the Seahawks taking him yeah. in like the third or fourth round, which is I think he went in the third round. And then they didn't take him, so now here we are, four years <laughs> later, paying him $50 million on a pick that you probably should have just made from the start. But you that, doesn't mean, that doesn't mean Draymond's a bad player, or it's his fault, obviously. So um, I'm hoping for the best. He's definitely a specimen. Like he looks like he fits. He fits the build for sure. Yeah, I think he's got a little, of, especially three four D lineman. He's got a little yeah. inside outside presence. He yeah, can exactly. Play it's, that three four D end kind of spot. Yeah, and you move him into the interior on on pass rush downs and get back to get back to getting four or five guys that can rush the passer. That seems like it could be pretty intriguing. So, um, I think it in Denver he was he didn't necessarily put up the best sack numbers. But he had like 18 though in three years, which yeah, I think which is, is pretty... solid for an interior guy. But, but you you want to know what killed me though is that because Nigel and I talked about this the other week is and he just signed yesterday. You see that Greg Gaines signed a one year three and a half million dollar deal with Tampa. I didn't. I was curious. You sent me that, but I didn't see what the what the mm. deal one year was. three and because I thought I thought he was gonna get not a Draymond Jones contract, but. Next year, like 10 million a year for like three years, like a three year 30, 30 something, because he's been really good. Yeah. And I, that was the guy that was at the top of my list. I was like, you got to bring Greg Gaines back to Seattle. And, and the one year, like, it'd be one thing if he signed a contract, like I just said, that it's like, okay, you went with Draymond on the big contract instead of him. Like, I still would have rather had Greg Gaines. One year, three and a half million. You could have made that happen. Yeah. In addition to these signings, absolutely. So I, that that is what kind of leaves a little bad taste in my mouth. Is that and you need a guy like that, just a big boy in the middle to yeah, like just gonna eat, eat up bodies. blockers. Like yeah. just another one of those dudes. Because who's, who's going to do that? Especially you, you dropped Al Woods. You let Al Woods walk. So yeah, a guy like Greg Gaines. I'm as the number one Greg Gaines stan. Uh, just loved that guy when he was a Husky. Watched him, watched him behind Aaron Donald for the last couple of years, and when he when he's gotten in, he looks great. So man, that would have been a yeah. I'm surprised been a killer signing for the Seahawks. And, and I'm surprised he didn't year. have a larger market. Yeah, and agreed. and maybe and maybe honestly, he was looking for a bigger contract, and teams were looking to lowball him, and he's like, "That's fine, I'll go play in Tampa on a one year prove it deal. Yeah, go play with go, Vita Vea. And, yeah, and I'll go hit the market again. Yeah, exactly. I'll spell with Vita Vea. Yeah, and they already." 
tore it up before when they're at UW together. It's yeah, like exactly. Perfect, and he'll hit the market again next year and thinks that he can make even more. He'll get that ten million a year, eight or nine million a year that he wants with a long term deal. So I think it's going to work out for him. He's a good player. I'm I'm just a little bitter that especially. I would have loved Greg Gaines even on a one-year prove-it contract with the Seahawks. Absolutely. So, do you guys know anything about Evan Brown? The offensive lineman? Yeah, you know anything about him? Don't know anything nope. about him. Let me uh, give you some cliff notes on him. 6'3", 320 pounds. He is 26 years old. He ranked ninth according to ESPN, on the pass block win rate as a center and 47th as a left and right guard. This was back in 2022, obviously, with the Detroit Lions. Seahawks just signed him for a one-year deal, $2.25 million, $1 million guaranteed. What do you guys think about that? Good signing? I think it's always good, especially at $2 million and change, to sign a guy that has experience playing center and guard. Like You have to have versatility on your interior line. So I do, I do like that aspect of it. And it comes right after Austin Blythe uh, also he, retiring yeah, as well. Austin Blythe retiring. Yeah, I mean, so he's, you, he's cheaper. You need a he's, yeah. he's cheaper than uh, who's the other guy that we the guy that we re-signed. His name completely eludes me right now. Uh, Hay- Phil Haynes. Oh, Haynes. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think we paid Phil Haynes more money, and <laughs> this guy has more <laughs> yeah. starting experience than him. So at least uh, contract wise, relative to other guys on the line, like I'd say that's a pretty. That's a pretty nice deal. Like you always have yeah. to have guys that yeah. can fill you need, up those. You spots. need O line depth, regardless, and just and so a guy that can play both guard and center. And Gabe Jackson walked also, right? So I we, do we cut so, him? Yeah. So you you just are going to need some bodies in there. So I think that's a good good signing. Definitely a place to that we're still going to need to look in the draft. I think, but that um, was going to be my center, next question. Yeah, if you guard, think center is still a spot in the draft. Yeah, us. I think you, you draft your center of the future or guard of the future, one of the two. If if you think this Evan Brown guy can can fill one of those spots, though, that's great. And then you draft your guy of the future, at, you know, those first couple rounds. And and uh, yeah, I think that I think that's a good pickup, though. Yeah, it depends on how you scout out the centers in the draft and where you think they slot into picks, but. I still really like the idea, at least on paper, that it's like you have two rookie tackles about to be in their second year. Go get that center, and you basically have the like three pillars of your offensive line all on rookie deals. He can play guard. You can plug and play guards in there. But you have a nice young core of center, left and right tackle. I think in theory that sounds really awesome. Yeah, You have to actually have the center. I named a few names before on one of the old ones old podcast but you got to have it you got to have a center in mind that slots into an appropriate draft pick that you feel good about to actually make that dream come true but i think i think i would i would still put center as one of the top priorities in this draft julian love on a two-year deal for 12 million dollars you guys like that deal and what's the uh what's the future for jamal adams with that signing is it affected I don't think that um, Jamal Adams is gone quite yet. I think that I think they're gonna I think they're gonna still try to give him a chance. But it sounds like he's not gonna be ready for for training camp as it stands. It sounds like may, maybe even week one, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, he, it like, seems more preventative I, than yeah, it is. I think yeah, as far as the signing, we don't we don't know when he's gonna be back. So you're definitely gonna need depth, and just in general, I think that's been 
that's been part of the problem with with the Seahawks and guys have stepped in and stepped up in you know Ryan Neal and those type of guys but um, you need you need some depth in that position and worst case scenario you have probably a really good special teams guy and best case scenario or best case scenario he's a starter for you and at, on a pretty nice deal, six million a year. I don't know much about his play. I, I haven't really seen him, so I can't really speak to that. But at the end of the day, you're gonna you're gonna need bodies in that position. So I think it's uh, yeah. So what what I've heard what okay. I've heard about him, he's more of a hybrid player. Like he plays nickel corner and safety. He's more of a coverage guy. That's and great. Coverage nickel type guy. Kind of like Ryan Neal. Kind of like Ryan Neal. So I think so I, Kobe Bryant might have a. Uh... I think that's an interesting question too. Is that do you think then is Kobe Bryant just get relegated to straight? De- assuming Jamal Adams is on the team and he's healthy, is does does Kobe Bryant just get relegated to being rotational depth, or do they think that he can evolve into one of those starting cornerback positions out wide alongside Reek Wolin? I don't know, but I think I think it gives you a lot of options because obviously Jamal Adams, not your prototypical coverage safety. You could roll him into the box and probably move Love back to play coverage. You could also switch it up and put him into that nickel spot as more of your coverage safety. It's just it's modern day NFL. I think you have to have guys that can wear many hats and make change the shape of your defense and it seems like from what the little that i know about this julian love guy he's a little bit more of a hybrid player that can kind of play all over the field as a defensive back and so what you said two years 12 million six million a year i i think that if he can if he can perform i don't think that's that much of an investment for a guy that can as we've seen especially with injuries to jamal adams and across the whole team he could go plug holes anywhere on this defense. I think that's a, I, I think that might quietly end up being a really good signing for yeah. them. Is it just cause you need guys to step up when yeah. people get hurt and he can do a lot of different things. So I think buying, I buy, I buy, you buy it. <laughs> I buy it, it also sounds like too, with the giants, he had uh, a breakout season last year where he had 124 tackles too. And so, I mean, the guys all season. over the field. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of tackles. It, and I think it just plays into what Pete wants to do. Like, give him, give him ten DBs that he can mold into <laughs> that he can mold into whatever he wants the shape of the defense to look like. And I would put my money on Pete Carroll to make that defense look good by the end of the season. So yeah, give if he has all those options, it's like Ryan Neal's not the best, but when when he was put in the position to to succeed, he did a pretty good job. And I think all those guys have the ability to do that so you know throw one more throw one more name in the hat competition baby so keep it going yeah Pete Carroll's defense has always looked at its best when guys have I feel like more narrow roles where it really accentuates what they're good at and so just by adding these more more guys that have different skill sets and it's like hey you're you're good at this so we're going to put you in positions to succeed well Julian Love is good at these types of things so you don't need to now you don't have to try to play that position, right? Jamal Adams, you're not going to be lining up in the slot and and going man-to-man on somebody. Those types of downs, that's where Julian Love is going to be in there. 
Now we need to stack the box and we need to stop the run. Jamal Adams, get in there. Although you just, by the sounds of it, Julian Love sounds like he's a pretty good tackler too. So yeah. maybe he well, finds his way in there too. But yeah. well, especially when you don't tackling, have, you have no linebackers thing. on your team right now either. So if you have, if you <laughs> well, have, a team, they're going to run, they're going to run <laughs> yeah. four safeties on the field. <laughs> yeah, they might have to. Yeah. Well, I know you guys were super bummed to see uh, Cody Barton go to the uh, Washington Commanders. Good riddance, Cody. What? Sorry. What? <laughs> that guy made one of the best tackles we've seen. On Reek Woolen. Yeah. Yeah. Salute the but Commanders. But it was solid. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for your service. Yeah. Good God. Man. Uh, so, speaking of linebackers, we got Devin Bush. I'm really curious about your guys' take on him. Former first-round dude. Seems like there's a lot of potential. Had an ACL injury. What do we think? I love this signing. It's it's a prove-it deal. I could end up eating crow on this. I think I think I would have liked it even better if we could have got it on like a two-year deal. Because I think, I think he has all the tools here that he could go have a breakout season and then hit the market again, and we won't be able to afford to pay, pay him. But he's obviously dealt with injuries, but it's one of those guys ran a – Four four three forty. I think he's a little slight, slight of frame, obviously, but he's fast. I think it's just like we're saying. It's going to be up to Pete Carroll and the defense. You got to find ways to get him in positions to succeed. Now, as a middle linebacker, that's a little tougher because you kind of just have to be on the field all the time. But I still think there's ways within that to get the most out of him. Curious to see how he's recovering from because he obviously the ACL tear was a while ago at this point, but still, there's a reason why we got him on a one year prove it deal. Is that he clearly hasn't been the was he the ninth overall pick? He hasn't lived up to his ninth overall pick status so far. But I love the pick. I obviously, especially if it's him or Cody Barton, give me Devin Bush. Six months after his ACL tear, and I'll still take him. <laughs> yeah, I so, agree with that. so I I like the pick. I'm sure he'll make some mistakes, and I'll be cursing his name at some point during this season. But I do think that if we could get to the point where Jordan Brooks is back and healthy, it's a lot of speed at interior linebacker. And I think with what the Seahawks want to do defensively moving forward, speed, length across the whole defense you might start to see some things come together yeah his i'm also excited about this pick he he was one of the most electrifying rookies was it 2019 was his rookie year i'm assuming 2018 maybe something like that but he had a he had a fantastic rookie season looked like he was going to be the going to be the next best linebacker and much like um what's his name at uh the Cowboys um, foot fetish guy. Parson. Uh, yeah, Parson. Mike, yeah foot, Mike, foot, foot fetish guy, yeah. Michael Parsons. Well, poor, hey, it's, kinda, it's 2023, no kink shaming. All yeah, right? If he's got wait, a foot fetish, that's his own thing. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not shaming him. I'm, I'm celebrating it. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but hey, What them toes do. Yeah, but he, he, look, he, you know, he looked like he was going to be that type of guy, like making, making plays in the backfield, getting sacks, being you know sideline to sideline guy then gets the injury so man i'll be curious to see how how he's able to fit in on this team also from what i heard it sounds like he he's kind of he's kind of a knucklehead a little bit and that was one of his issues at pittsburgh was that he was just kind of you know not doing not acting like a pro all the time 
And so... Pete Carroll loves those guys. Yeah, Pete Carroll loves those dudes. And we'll see what happens here. But if you sign... You, you still go out and sign Bobby Wagner to a sweetheart deal here and bring him in as a mentor for Devin Bush. And all of a sudden you have, you know, one of the one of the best pros that's out there, like one of the guys that mentors everybody uh, in Bobby Wagner coming in to, to put his arm around Devin Bush and maybe get him on the straight and narrow. Like that could all of a sudden be a, be a big, big factor there and change, change his uh, attitude a little bit. So I'm hoping, you know, I would love to see the guy succeed. He, he looked like he was going to be a superstar and a little injury ridden, but man, he's got a lot of talent. He's a freak show. Yeah, whether it's Bobby Wagner or somebody else, I with all. I mean, Quandre Diggs could be that guy too. Like if someone who's already. Well, on the I team. still think with Jordan Brooks's injury, they still need whether it's through the draft or getting a veteran. You kind of need like a bologna sandwich type middle backer that can just go and make <laughs> the like routine plays because I think. That's been the issue with Devin Bush. He's very athletic, and he can make splashy plays. It's the consistency. Yeah. And so without Jordan Brooks there, they still need to address the other middle interior linebacker position, and it needs to be somebody who's consistent. Uh, sorry, consistently good, because Cody Barton was consistent. Just <laughs> yeah, consistently. consistently dog shit. So, like, you got to get a guy, though, that could just, like, really make the e- – easy air quote tackles but like make make the sound plays which bobby wagner obviously would be your perfect example of that but he might be expensive but even if you draft somebody probably somebody that's a little more classic interior linebacker yeah, yeah we're not flashy can go be but, like space space oriented yeah. like he's got side send him on coverage. some blitzes he's, get him out yeah. get him out running and in, in coverage even though i don't think his coverage grade has been very good but maybe with uh, some of those other maybe DBs maybe his eyes are opened a little bit that you can't yeah. be a knucklehead anymore you get a little humbled and somebody somebody on the Seahawks coaching staff it clicks with him and you know that athleticism turns into good tape you can yeah. start to see that athleticism pour over onto the field I, I think it's a I think it's a great signing especially at the price tag if anyone, I mean, he's a top 10 pick like yeah if anyone can get it out of him it's Pete right sure the last big one, Drew Locke. One year, $4 million deal. We were all holding our breath hoping this would happen. So, I still think he's got a chance to start. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, you really think about it. What's changed, what's changed in 12 months? I mean, Pete says always compete. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, hey. He's, in we my had, opinion, he's what, the what was the Pete uh, saying there, Luke? Well, we got, we got two, two guys. Yeah. Yeah. Two guys, four <laughs> legs, six arms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Most teams don't have one quarterback. We got two. So with that, said, with that said, do we have a third quarterback still in the making? Are the Seahawks still going to be looking at the draft? And at, I would assume we're no longer looking at that number, you know, the overall fifth pick as a quarterback pick. But Don't maybe, tell that's a Mel Kiper. I, I saw that. My sources told me that, that that was said that AR-15 could still go number five to us. But what do you guys think? Maybe a second-round quarterback still we're looking at? Maybe get Hooker. I've been I've been saying that now for a minute that I don't think that we're going to draft one with the fifth overall pick. I think we'll we'll go later. I know the Seahawks have been uh, this week have been all over the socials uh, every single day tweeting out pictures of Pete and John and uh, uh, Waldron all with 
hanging out with these quarterbacks of their pro days, taking selfies with them, and I think it's all a smokescreen. They're not taking any of those guys. They're they're going defense. They're and, just trying to drum up trade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're just trade yeah they're they're doing. I think it was uh, was it Field Yates uh, the the. Uh, NFL guy, his Twitter page is like, all these teams are out here being coy, and the Seahawks are out there taking selfies with every single, every <laughs> single quarterback, and it's all a smokescreen. They're, I don't think they're taking a QB, at least in the, at least in the first round. I think they will take a QB at some point in this draft, but you never know. We'll see. But I, I still like AR fifteen. I liked him a lot more when he, he wasn't as hyped, and we were getting him at, a, maybe getting him at pick 20 and not at pick five but if but also at the same time if you like the guy then go and get him so yeah i'm still standing by my original point i don't know if it's going to be ar-15 or somebody else but with with jalen carter looking like he's slipping in the draft i still think it's going to be hard for the seahawks to not draft a defensive a defensive lineman type player like jalen carter if you think he's the guy but I, I think the selfies I do think more or less is more just a smoke show, smoke screen type thing. But I said it before, say it again. You have the fifth overall pick, you don't find yourself with this opportunity very often. They know what what guy or guys that they like and they value. If that guy's there, I still think they're gonna take him. And like I said before on the previous podcast. They wanted to trade Russell Wilson for the first overall pick to get Josh Allen. If they have a guy that they think that they have graded out as high as Josh Allen or whatever their magic number is that says that it's worth it, you traded Russell Wilson and ended up being the fifth overall pick. That's even better than trading him for the first overall pick, realistically. If that guy's there, I still think they're going to take a quarterback. Now, I don't know if that guy's there or they're just kind of feigning interest to try to drum up some more drama and maybe up the value on a tr- on a trade back because that seems well within what yeah. Pete Carroll and John Schneider like to do but I still think if, if they have a guy that they're dead set on at quarterback that they think is well worth the fifth overall pick and he finds his way there I, I still think it's gonna happen especially even though I just said a second ago, especially with the stuff with Jalen Carter lately, not as sexy as a pick as it looked like a while ago. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that insight. Yeah. <laughs> All right. It couldn't be more wrong, and I disagree fully on that. I'm going to give you guys the choice here. We've been talking a lot of football. We can keep going on that path. We have a new fun segment coming up called Sammy Swap, where we're going to discuss trades. And there's been quite a few trades in the last uh, week or so with the NFL. So you guys want to go Sammy Swap or you want to go into the local chapter talk and get into our main topic. I mean, I thank you listeners if you're still listening. We're at one hour and 26 minutes right now. So hoping that you're that we're giving enough content for you guys to stick around. So what do you guys want to do? What do you, what do you think we should do? Could we just take a timeout? Yeah. T! T! Time out. I'm burning. All right, Nigel, we're going to leave you. What do you think? Sammy Swap or local chapter talk? Oh, boy. This one's very easy for me. Sammy Swap. Sammy Swap. Let's Let's hit it. All right, boys. Give me a... Give you a tomato? 
Give me a tomato. Tomato. Yeah. Uh, give me a quick, uh, either, just basically tell me, who do you think won this trade? Let's just go with that. We'll, we'll keep it simple. We'll start off with, hmm, let's go ahead. The Los Angeles Rams have agreed to trade star cornerback Jalen Ramsey to the Miami Dolphins for a 2023 third round pick and tight end uh, Hunter Long, who won the trade. Uh, Dolphins won that trade by a landslide, in my opinion. You have one of the best cornerbacks in the league um, for a third-round pick and some no-name tight end. Yeah, I'll take I'll take Jalen Ramsey all day. Yeah, I'll tend to agree. I think Miami won that trade. I mean, that just sounds like a cap dump for the Rams. I mean, yeah. after their last season, maybe maybe that that's where they're at is that they're ready to just take a step back. But third-round pick. I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing the Seahawks divvy that up for for Ramsey, although I don't think they can afford his contract. But, yeah, I'll say Miami won that one. Brandon Cooks. Houston will receive a fifth-round pick in 2023 and a sixth-round pick in exchange for Brandon Cooks with Dallas. Uh, both teams are losers on that because, <laughs> because Brandon <laughs> Cooks sucks. Actually, Brandon Cooks is pretty decent. Um, Someone always drafts him in fantasy, though. Yeah, I'd say I'll give I'll give Dallas the win on that just because he actually still has I think he still has some juice left in him and honestly fifth and sixth round pick you're not gonna find well could be wrong there but you're probably not gonna find as quality of a player as Brandon Cooks in the fifth or sixth round Cowboys are a little more win ready so and they need weapons so I'll give Dallas a win on that although it's not much of a win yeah it's pretty neutral i'd say but overall brandon cooks is a proven wide receiver he had a pretty good season last year and for a fifth and sixth round pick a 2024 sixth round pick too like yeah i'll, I'll give dallas the, the win on that give dak another weapon um yeah dallas all right continuing with dallas we had stefan gilmore to the dallas cowboys in exchange for a 2023 fifth round pick to the colts Man. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll go with I'll go with Dallas again on that. Stephon Gilmore had a had another good year last year, and one of the best cornerbacks in the league. Um, just bolsters that Cowboys defense. I hate to see it, for, because I hate the Cowboys. And they can for a fifth round. How about them boys? Tory pick. I don't know. I I don't know why the Colts wanted to get rid of him, but. Uh, I'm guessing that's Stephon Gilmore wanting out from the Colts more than more than anything else. But, uh, yeah, Dallas gets the win on that. Yeah, Dallas probably the winner, but Colts Colts are in full rebuild. They, they just need to stockpile picks and start building it up. And Gilmore would still probably be a nice guy to have on the roster to help young players, but got to start, start somewhere. And I don't know what his contract looks like. It's probably not that egregious but it's probably also not that cheap so i do see i do see a report here that the there's rumors that the reason that they're offloading gilmore is that they're trying to uh, make cap room to swing a deal for lamar jackson which if that happens to be the case i'll change my tune and say that they win that but as it stands now do we know this yeah we don't know this All right, here's a doozy. The Raiders are receiving a third-round pick in the 2023 draft. 
uh, that they got from the Giants in a previous trade that uh, they're giving up Darren Waller for him. What do we think? He's going to the Patriots, right? No, no. To the Giants. Or to the Giants. He's right. going to the Giants. So it's kind of a funky trade here, but basically the Giants, they acquired... How did this work? So they got... The Giants acquired the third-round pick when they dealt wide receiver uh, Kadarius Toney to the Kansas City Chiefs. I forget how the Patriots are involved as well. Okay, yeah, sorry. <clears throat> I'm going to say the Giants... <coughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to say that the Giants won that one. Uh, obviously, Darren Waller missed a lot of time this last year with an injury, but I'm sure he'll be fine. Darren Waller is still one of the most explosive tight ends in the league so <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and uh you, ju you just paid danny dimes a bunch of money you got to give him somebody to throw the ball to like that that receiving core in new york is not good so uh I, i'm gonna say the giants won that one although the raiders are probably pretty happy with getting a third round pick i think they gotta find some ways to bolster their team so uh, the way the Patriots were involved in that is because that was clearing cap space to sign Jacoby Myers from the Patriots. For So uh, I'll say with that in mind, I'm still going to give the edge to the Giants because I think them, Darren Waller is a better player overall and Danny Dimes needs that target. I think that's going to be big time for them. But the Raiders, the Raiders get a third-round pick and they get Jacoby Jacoby Myers out of the deal, so that's another weapon for for Jimmy G to be hitting the town with. With me and the boys, you know, I, I gotta I gotta see, gotta give my Raiders some love. There. See, that's uh, I see why that's confusing to me because the last time I saw Jacoby Myers play, I thought he was on the Raiders when he threw the ball back to Chandler Jones. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is so, confusing. So I guess that's why I was confused. It's like I thought he was already on their team. Um, Collusion? Question mark? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Did he match did he fixing? Know he was question the, mark? He's yeah. read the team. And now he's and now he's in Las Vegas where he was placing the bet on an, the, his future team. Wow, this is a, this is all oh, coming we're together. Gonna, now. We're gonna need an yeah. investigation. We're, on yeah, that we're gonna have to do a uh, bologna sandwich team investigation on this and find out more. <laughs> we'll get we'll get the uh, new segment. Yeah, we'll get the, yeah, we'll get the corkboard out and the red the red tape. Now, we don't know the, this. <laughs> yeah. But overall, I'm gonna say Giants win that. The Browns will acquire Elijah Moore in a third-round pick, the number overall 74 pick overall from the Jets for their second-round pick, which is the number 42nd overall pick. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Elijah Moore fan. I don't know why the Jets... Uh, I'll keep this short. Uh, I think it's funny that uh, Aaron Rodgers complained a bunch about how he didn't like his weapons in Green Bay. And then now he gets to the Jets and he's like, yeah, I need uh, Aaron Lazard and Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis on my team. But, yeah, go ahead and get rid of Elijah Moore. So, <laughs> so the guys that you were just bitching about, obviously he wasn't bitching about Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis. He's got a rapport with those guys. But the guys that you couldn't play with because they weren't good enough, now you want to bring them all to New York and get rid of one of your most explosive weapons. Uh, I think the Browns won this one. Yeah, the, the pick the pick is nice because the Jets got holes to fill, but uh, I, I still think Elijah Moore has a lot of football left in him. Yeah, I think I agree. I think Browns Browns won this deal overall, and they they get a they get a third round pick in return too. So 
they can still, you make still lose about that what twenty five slots in the draft. 30, 32 slots. Thirty two slots. What I'm seeing here that they lose, but either way, I still think they the Browns win that win that one for sure. Elijah Moore is a good receiver and explosive receiver. Would have would have been interesting to see him with him with Rodgers at, at the Jets, but now he has to go hang out with uh, what's his name Deshaun Watson. So. I hope Elijah Moore's not a big massage guy, <laughs> or I guess massage parlor guy. Just get it from the get it from the trainers at the facility in a controlled environment. Keep it in house. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, Nigel, on that uh, little sheet over there, do you have uh, this last one? Because my notes are a little funky with the uh, the Panthers and uh, and Bears trade. What do we got there? Is it showing up on there? Yeah, it goes. Panthers get the first pick. Yeah. So Panthers get. Uh, the Bears 2023 first overall pick and in return the Bears receive DJ Moore the ninth overall pick the second round pick of the Panthers which is pick number 61 and then 2024 first round pick and their 2025 second round pick that seems steep yeah that seems like a lot that's the first overall pick in the draft I would say, I'm going to say that the Bears won this one. Um, I don't think that they're in the market for a quarterback, which is what they what they probably would have had to select at that pick. So they move down. They can go pick a pick a defensive player or bolster their O line or whatever it is that they need to do. They get they get a number one receiver out of the deal, which the Bears desperately need. They have no one out there on their receiving core, which is why Justin Fields I think struggled a bit this past season and and then another first and second round or basically you get basically you get you lose seven spots you get a starting receiver a first round pick and two second round picks yeah bears win that all day yeah i'd like that for carolina a lot more if dj Moore wasn't involved in it because it's like you trade up to get the first overall pick which i don't think is necessarily a bad move especially because you want a quarterback but who's your quarterback going to throw to? <laughs> like, like, no idea. <laughs> DJ Moore's a good wide receiver. Like, you think you'd want him to be a part of your new quarterback, although he's probably due for a contract after this year, right? Yeah, I would guess so. So, yeah. I, can, I can see that as being like, you could already, you know, see down the road that it's like, we're Let's not, get something we're not in a now. position to be offering big money to a free agent wide receiver. So you gotta kind of sweeten the pot. But you would be in the position to give money to them, though. I'm guessing they're in a pretty good cap situation right now. That much like the Seahawks, where you you can afford to pay, you can afford to pay DK this. Yeah, well, that's year. a whole that's a whole other conversation. I'll try to keep it short since we're just talking about trades right now. But I'm I'm definitely more in the camp. I don't know that I'd be shelling out big money for a wide receiver, and that goes for DK too, because. I just think now more than ever, like guys are a dime a dozen at the wide receiver yeah. position. You can, you you can, can also, you can, yeah, you, you can also go suck this year again and next year with your top ten pick, go find, go get a Marvin, guy who's, who's go get Marvin Harrison Jr. With yeah, that exactly first round next pick. year. Yeah, so you can you can bear, go restock that. Do they have the Bears' first round pick next year too? Yes. So yeah, go draft Marvin Harrison Jr. next year because the Bears will probably suck again too. So you'll have another top twelve pick probably. 
So. Oh no, they don't have the Bears' first round pick. Oh, okay. They gave the Bears their first round. Pick yeah, they just they gave up a. They first gave round. up their twenty. They gave up two first, first round, round picks. Too. Oh yeah, duh. But, but either way, yeah, so that's tough. Yeah, there's <laughs> so. a, you can still find receive, value receivers in there, and so I I don't think that's that'll be a big issue. I'd say the Bears won though. I don't think I actually weighed in on that. I'd say I'd say the Bears won, and I still think, especially with those picks in mind, is that if. If there is a quarterback you like, you can still maybe move up right to where the Seahawks are at if the Seahawks don't want a quarterback and just jump right back in from nine, from the ninth pick and move right back into that fifth slot. Yeah. Maybe still get the guy that you wanted or a guy who you think can compete with Fields. So I think, I think the Bears got options. Although, having said that, I don't know how verified it is, but I heard it from, I think Albert Brewer at least said it too, is that right after they did that, said that the Panthers might be interested in shopping that first overall pick. What? I, I think, I think they, like, the, the kind serious? of... serious? Yeah, the, the kind of, the report on it is just that, like, <laughs> it's so early in the draft, the draft process, they're like, we would rather just have control of that and decide how we want to move with that. Because obviously there's value there. Yeah. So And especially the more that the quarterback, the quarterbacks in this draft, like, get talked up, the more value there is in that first pick that if somebody wants to come really make a move, even if you just drop back, if the Texans or the Colts want to move up and get the, and make sure that they get the guy they want CJ Stroud or Bryce young and make sure you get it and be like, that's fine. We'll move back two picks and then we'll get another, we'll get that first round pick that we traded away. I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world. Are we really banking on the Panthers to be playing four D checkers like that? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> They're on a rooftop and they're not playing. They're <laughs> yeah. not playing at 4D anything. <laughs> All right, let's jump into local chapter talk. Da, 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 music. About damn time. Grab your tools and hard hats. Time to head over to the local chapter chat. Your Seattle Mariners in the last 24 hours, probably 25 hours now since we've started this. The Seattle Mariners. <laughs> Mariners. Have scored 32 runs in the last two games. I saw that. Wow. <laughs> I know it's just spring training, but that's a little... That's pretty bonkers. <laughs> I'm no math major, but it's better than giving up 32 runs <laughs> in, in the last 25 hours. That is true. So. Absolutely. We are six days away from opening day. Well, no. No, we're past midnight now. We are five days away from opening day against the Guardians, and it is at home, correct? Correct. Are you guys going to that game? I'm planning on it. I don't have tickets yet, but I'd like to be there. I heard it's a sold-out event, so you're going to be... That doesn't mean anything. You're going to have to be there's hitting always, up game, game time. There's always tickets available. I've got my sources. I heard him say the other day that I think they had tickets for like 30 bucks on uh, whatever is on whatever KJR official Venue sponsor. Kings. Yeah. Venue Kings had tickets for 30 bucks, so... Yeah, there's tickets available. I'll be, I'll be in the stadium. Don't worry. I'll find, <laughs> I'll find a way. Find a way. I'll find a way. Well, boys, I'm excited. This is going to be hopefully a big season for the Mariners. There's 
a lot of questions, I think, that are still not answered quite just yet, but things are looking on the up and up. I mean, one of the biggest ones is Jared Kelenic. He still seems to be playing really well in spring training, hitting the ball hard. I think the other day he got on with a triple. Like, the dude is just hitting all over the park right now. What do you guys uh, you guys think? Uh, Jared Kelenic, MVP this year, 2023 yeah. MVP? Yeah, why doesn't uh, – Nigel, why don't you go ahead and lead <laughs> off the Jared Kelenic talk. I'll save my hate for <laughs> – uh, Lock for it after. in 100%. Like I said on the first podcast, uh, Jared Kelenic going to hit – I don't know, what did I say, 280, 30 bombs, something like that. Um I, I just keeps going up. Yeah, three thirty, four twenty. Well, he's they he's currently hitting numbers he's that can hitting the four hundreds during spring training right now. Again, it's spring training. Uh, guys are working on things. I'm not. I'm not. You know, completely sold. But what I will say is that from what I've heard, it sounds like Kelnick's a lot more. Who, who are your sources? Uh, Angie Mentink. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You guys tight? Yeah, me and Angie are tight. Uh, Sounds like he's a lot more confident in his swing, in his approach this year. Is kind of how he's how he's approaching each at bat. Not really like when he's in his struggle moments or like O two counts or things like that. He's not reverting back to old old ways. He's he's sticking with his approach. He's not he's not being being reactionary and trying to change things in the middle of plate appearances and in, in the middle of the game. And like running down to the batting cages in the middle and try to try to change his swing. So, for now, I think that's a good sign. I think it's positive. Once again, I already said this earlier earlier in a previous episode. It's positive that he's hitting well to start the season. I think it's it's only a good thing for him in his mental mental space. And so, man, if he can if he can be if he can hit half of that, if he's hitting or if he can hit two thirds of that, if he's hitting four twenty, he's he's having a hell of a season. So. Really hope the guy. Really hope the guy can keep it together. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, it's it's spring training, so I'm not going to put too much weight into it. I I still think it's just maybe this is just really cynical to say, but I still think like that first series against the Guardians, he's he's just got to come out and hit. He he can't he can't go zero for nine to start to start the, his season. I feel like it's. Until he shows me something else about his demeanor and plate appearance, this is all great. He hasn't struggled at all in in spring training so far, from the sounds of it. No. Obviously, he's hitting over 400, so he hasn't struggled. So, I think he's got to come out and hit hot. And really, the test will be is that once he does have a... Because it's going to happen. He's a major league... This is major league baseball, like... He's gonna have a stretch where he goes O for double digits. Yeah, he'll it's, go hitless for a series. Can you all that stuff you just said? Can you trust your approach? Not start to change things, tweak little things. Be like, no, no, no. I I hit four four plus in spring training, and it's because I stuck to my core here on my approach. Doesn't matter if I'm five. Five for ten in a series, or if I'm zero for ten, like there's going to be ebbs and flows to the season, and I'm confident that I have it figured out. So I'm excited to see it. Like I said, I'm a I'm a Kelnick hater, a little bit, not a hater, but I I'm I'm 
cautiously not optimistic. Yes, that's probably a good way to put <laughs> yeah. it. But uh, you know, I hope he, ha- yeah, I hope he does have a great season. It's just going to get us more in a trade later in the season for him. So, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it'll be. Because I haven't watched much spring training. I've seen the score. Well, they don't lines. show it on TV. Yeah, and you can't watch much. it on TV, really. But it it was pretty apparent with Julio last year, like right off the bat, that you can see the guy has an approach. And he stuck to that, even when he was struggling at the beginning of the year and wasn't getting calls and like getting, getting balls called outside the strike zone that were strikes, that kind of stuff. But you could see that he was with – he had his approach and he was going to stick to it. And it – paid off in the long run and he obviously did really well. Hopefully Kelnick can take a take a page out of that book and and I think it'll be pretty apparent early on if he's if he struggles, even if he struggles but he's has the same approach and like hitting balls hard and like get it, you know. It's like it's one thing if the guy's just whiffing on every single pitch that comes at him and it's another thing if he's hitting balls hard in the gap and guys are getting to it or he's getting a called third strike on something that's outside of the zone and he's like that wasn't a strike. That's not my pitch. I'm not swinging at it. So I think you know it's gonna it it's gonna show it's it's gonna rear its head early on if it's if it's not there. So we'll find out soon. I'm also curious to see how rigid service and the Mariners will be with platooning him with Pollock. That if like in general, whether he's hitting well or not. Are they going to be very rigid and stick to it? That it's like, Kelnick, you're our lefty bat. Pollock, you're our righty bat. And how that affects him. Because I feel like right now, like, he's getting full ABs basically every game that he's in. Yeah. But, you know, it's kind of been marketed that come season, like, you're probably going to be platooning with him. And so how does that affect your approach? How does that affect your mentality? Can you embrace this platoon role? And then make the most of it and then parlay that into being just an everyday outfielder. I'm curious to see how that looks, how the Mariners approach that and how he approaches it individually. Yeah. Or, or like in the first month. Yeah. The good news is that we don't have a DH. And so either of those guys are probably going to be your first option at DH, even if it's down at the bottom of the lineup because it's not the pitching matchup you want if they're hitting in the 6, 7, 8 hole which is probably where they'll end up regardless. Those guys will probably get a lot of at-bats either way between those two. And so even if one of them's playing in the field, I think every other day they're probably going to be the, the DH for the for the day two. So hopefully he'll be getting a lot of at-bats. And so I think, you're like I said, you're going to find out pretty quickly if what I'm saying is true or not, that he actually does have an approach and that he's sticking to it with, at the at the plate. Luke, I uh, we're uh, we're we're going pretty deep in time today, so I think we're going to skip the uh, our normal ending segment with the questions. We're just going to start throwing them into this with the local chapter talk. I'm going to lead in with this headline and then go into the listener question. Marco Marco Gonzalez looking to prove that he still got it after being left off define, playoff. Define got it. <laughs> after being left off the playoff roster, veteran lefty spent winter. Uh, working harder than ever they're saying we don't know this but they're saying that he is in the best shape of his life he has now cut his hair i did see that and he's just shaved off 20 pounds and he has something to prove 
So just remember all that. Just remember all that. So the first yeah. question, it looks like our starting rotation in this order is going to be Castillo, Robbie Ray, Gilbert, Gonzalez, and Kirby. Do you think it's a mistake having Marco, even after I just told you about this sweet headline, starting over Flexen in the rotation? Do you think this is a mistake to have Marco over Flexen? And tell me why not, why you don't believe that's a mistake. <laughs> um, I I do like Flexen better than Marco Gonzalez. What? <laughs> despite despite the the bulldog losing twenty pounds, uh, I'm still gonna say I like Flexen better. I don't know for an opening day roster if I'm that offended because like obviously Flexen is still a part of it, and like this is modern day baseball. Like guys' arms are gonna get tired, and there's you're gonna have an opportunity to switch them out. But yeah, I I don't know. I I just still I've never been a Marco guy. And I still think Flexen is better than him. So, like, I I, I don't get it. I, I honestly don't. That's about all. That's, that's about all I got right now. I, I'll, let, I'll let number one Marco fan. Th- thank you. You could, you could not be more wrong, Luke. <laughs> yeah, please uh, tell me why. Our, our guy Marco, the Bulldog. <laughs> bulldog, <laughs> bulldog Marco is our guy. Uh he definitely deserves to be in in the starting rotation. Uh, have you ever seen an eighty nine mile an hour cutter out of his hands? Because that thing is have you thing Luke? pops that thing pops yeah. out of those fingers. And, and the only thing that pops is it off the bat when, <laughs> when he gives up a four when he gives up four runs in the first two innings. No in one every game that he no pitches. one battles harder between inning three and six though. Okay, he's I mean, he's giving up I'm he's giving even... up four runs, but no, no one's touching no one's touching those bases. That's what the okay. offense is for, man. Exactly. Step up and help your guy out. Exactly. No, I I love Marco. I think he's he's ultimate competitor. Um, it's a shame that he's a Gonzaga Bulldog. Hate, hate, hate. But uh, I think he's I think he's he's earned a spot on this on this team and on this starting rotation. And I think that Flexen is probably going to get twenty plus starts anyway. That's a so, lot. You think he'll get that many? I think so. Over no. the course of the season, I think if that's the case, then Marco's getting less than twenty. Uh, okay, maybe I'll say fifteen starts, but. Because I think that they're going to be careful with with Kirby and uh, Gilbert and try to try to salvage the, their arms for the entire year. And if anyone ca- if anyone catches an injury, anyone misses time, then then Flexum's obviously going to jump into that fifth rotation spot. But I think just in general, they're going to. I think there's going to be times where they're going to be running a pseudo six man rotation, or guys are going to be skipping off a rotation or skipping off a spot in their rotation for a week. Nigel, you're giving me big Max Kellerman vibes. <laughs> A- That's the nicest thing you've ever said to me. Like. <laughs> Aliens are invading the planet. You have, you have one game to pitch. Give me Marco. Marco. Give me Marco. Yes. And also absolutely. let and let Andre Iguodala pull a three pointer <laughs> yeah. with the with the fate of humanity on the line. Fate of humanity on the line. We got the Astros one game series to go to the World Series. Give me Marco. Are we right? rooting for the Strohs? <laughs> Give me Marco. Nobody's going to bulldog that outing more than Marco Gonzalez. I don't want Castillo. I don't want Robbie Ray. I don't want any of those guys. I want Marco out there on the bump. Like I said, opening day, Marco's been a staple of this lineup. So 
I, I'm not upset about it, and Flexen's going to get his starts, but I do like Flexen more than Marco. Here's a plot twist to go along with this. What about Bryce Miller just uh, taking that spot from both of those guys? I think I feel like what I've heard is that they're given – I haven't heard a lot about Bryce Miller since early in spring training, but I feel like the impression I got is that he has a similar – uh, like Matt Brash kind of approach right now that they're stretching him out to be a starter. So they have an extra arm if they need it. And maybe he will get some starts early, but I think his ultimate position is going to be coming out of the bullpen. Yeah. I, I, especially for, I mean, he's probably better than both of them than yeah. Marco or flex. And so like, I do, I do like that idea that he could be that, but he's still young and it's a long season. You need guys with, with endurance. Yeah, I think I think he'll get a, st- a couple of starts this season, but I think that's ultimately going to lead to him getting sent back down and then brought back up late in the season as a relief arm. Just like so Matt think, Brash. Yeah, exactly, just like Matt Brash. I, so say, I don't even know, coming, late in the season, maybe like late June, early July. Yeah, later, second half yeah. of the season when I say late. So I think that I think that he's he's going to be an arm in this on this team at some point. And because it's just the nature of the game. Some people are going to get fatigued, and not all these guys are going to be there at the end of the season. If they are, that'd be fantastic, but I just don't don't buy it. But give me another guy who just throws absolute smoke and bring him up. He's one of, like, ten different youngsters that we have that are that are just absolute flamethrowers. So I, I'd love to see him make his way up there. Um, in all reality, though, I think Marco – Probably in the long term, he's not going to be in the starting rotation. Opening day, yes, he probably he is, obviously. But I think that's one of the, the beauties, I guess, of, of Marco. Is I think he's a selfless player, and he will take his role in the bullpen. Are and you saying he's a bologna sandwich type of guy? He's a bologna sandwich type of guy. I think, he'll, uh, I think eventually he's going to take his role in the bullpen and be a lefty out of the pen for us that's kind of or a guy that has long relief grinder type guy because we just have too, we have too much talent coming through it at starting pitcher that we he's going to he's going to probably fall out of there they too much just make him talent. the bullpen catcher <laughs> <laughs> but for now the best job in baseball. let's go Nigel, I see you. You're over there looking at the uh, 2023 opening day roster. Why don't you uh, scroll through that and just give us a little bit of a uh, some takes on that? All right. Um, so we've got we've got at catcher, we've got number one big dumper Cal Raleigh. Let's go. Which I don't know if we talked about this before, but the uh, the uh, Root Sports broadcast officially has been given the go-ahead to actually call him Big Dumper on the air now. So you'll be hearing Big Dumper uh, on on the uh, on the TV waves this year. Thank God. Yeah, finally. Um, Tom Murphy, glad that he's back. Well, I think that uh, I think that having the two-headed monster at catcher with Cal and Tom is going to be going to be big. Is Tom healthy though? I feel like he I had think, a little injury. Did he have a little injury? Like uh, a forearm strain or something that got him scratched from the lineup that was like a week ago though. yeah i i don't i don't think he's on a healthy long term i think it was yeah. just like preventative maintenance before the long season starts. training yeah caution yeah so i like having both of those guys uh out there ready to go uh first base man i can't wait we haven't even touched on this guy yet but 
Ty France, man, what a hitter. I, I'm so excited to talk more about him as the season goes on. I think he's uh, I think he's just waiting to become a superstar. He's just like right on the fringe. And so Ty France at first base. Hold on. I, I have a quick question with that. Yeah. So we were talking about DH earlier. Is there any potential we possibly see Ty France go into that DH spot and maybe put up or move up Evan White in order to like take over first base because I mean the dude was a gold glover gold glove winner his yeah. first season with the Mariners and I yeah. I've talked about it before I'd love to see Evan White he's just his bat's got to come around though like yeah he th- just this, isn't quite this lineup is already not doesn't have that much firepower so as much as I'd love to see like Ty France has a is plenty capable of playing first base but yeah if they could add Evan White to that infield defense like I think it's the type of move that could really send him over the top. But he's got to be able to He's got to bring the bat. He's got to be able to hit somewhat. Yeah. They obviously believe in him. I mean, they signed him into a deal. I mean, it wasn't like a massive amount of money, but it was a longer-term deal that they signed him really early off in order to, like, thinking that he was going to be the future of the team. So, man, if... uh, I'm still rooting for him. Yeah, Yeah. I I really hope that works out because he's... As you said, Luke, that's a game-changer for the Mariners. He's a wizard with the bit, so, like... If they could find a way to get him in there, like it just makes that pitching staff and defense like next level. Yeah, and he's a lefty bat too. So like, come... he's a righty bat. Oh, that's Remember? right. He's lefty. He throws lefty. He throws lefty. He's, he's bats odd. Righty. That's he right. throws lefty, but he bats that's righty. Right. He's right. like he's what a psycho. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of a psychopath like that. Yeah, because you always say that, and you're like, no, yeah, it's the, yeah, it's I, the I opposite. Always, I always flip him. Yeah. So never mind on that. But I I would love to see Evan White out there. I think. I mean, I think that's the best version of the Mariners is if Evan White is, if Evan White is the, has the bat and is playing first base and Ty France has moved into the DH role. I think that's probably the best version of the Mariners. But for now, without, without seeing the bat, Ty France, Ty France had like no airs through three quarters of the season last year or something like that. Like he is a very capable first baseman. So I think he's. Yeah, I know. Like, he's, he's he was in the Gold Glove hunt until he got hurt late in the year, <laughs> making a good play at first base where he where he get, goes off the bag and makes a great tag. Like the guys, yeah. the guys a stud at first base still. So yeah, and, and, you're not losing a big step, and you're gaining a big step with the bat with him. So. And uh, moving into the next position too is that if you could find a way to, though to get Evan White in there, now you have a Gold Glover at first, a former Gold Glover at second, and Colton Wong and. JP won a gold glove too. Right? Same year as Evan White. Yeah. So yeah. like, so now you could have three gold glovers, and honestly, Gino Gino Suarez might be winning a gold glove too. The way that the strides, <laughs> if he if he makes the same type of strides that he did from a year ago or yeah. two years ago to this last year to last year to this year, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Probably not. But <laughs> but still, yeah. Well, he 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 might not be a gold glove winner, but at the very least, he is a. Very serviceable third baseman, Gino. So, love love Gino. Good bat. We touched on J.P. Crawford at short. Colton Wong at second base. I think he's going to be our two-hitter probably this year. Um, so, I'm, I'm really curious to see what Colton Wong does. I don't know about you guys, but I think... No, I'm not curious. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm just... Uh, I'm hoping that he can... He can uh, be the guy that he was not last season <laughs> and the years before that be more more that type of player where he's gold glove caliber and has the bat 
to be a top tier second baseman also. Colton Wong's mitt is something I'm not worried about. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's going to I think he's going to be I think he's going to be just year. fine there. Yeah. I think he's going to be electric on defense this year and I think the Mariners infield with or without Evan White playing first cuz obviously Ty France is good too. I think that infield is going to look really sharp. And I think the Mariners pitchers should lean into that, and yeah. I think they will. Well, which it's very important, too. I mean, that's a huge point, too, because with the shift being gone now, you want your middle infielders to be rock solid. I mean, you want your entire infield, but if you got a solid middle infield now with the shift now gone, I mean, that, that puts you ahead of a lot of other teams. Yeah, I think a guy like Colton Wong has a real chance, like you're saying, too, with the shift being banned, that, like, kind of got to think back a handful of years. Is it like, guys – Middle infielders like that, like you're gonna have to cover a lot of ground, and he's the type of guy who can make highlight plays. Yeah, and he can cut down some of those holes that are gonna be in the infield because you can't shift. Like, yeah, I, and I think he's the guy for the job. It's just really gonna come down to though. Doesn't matter how many diving plays and throws from your ass that you make if you're hitting 200. Like that's just not. Yeah, good. Dylan Moore's gonna find his way in there. <laughs> yeah. Like it's gonna be all about his bat showing up, and I hope that he can. He can bring that bat. That's, I mean, that's going to be the biggest, the biggest thing for the Mariners. Say. Well, I think even there too. I think Dylan Moore and uh, and Wong are actually supposed to be kind of a tandem now. I mean, once Dylan Moore is fully healthy, which obviously he's dealing through stuff right now, but that's still a platoon right there too. So Dylan Moore's bat's going to probably make up a little bit for. They might be a little yin and yang there where they they kind of equalize each other. Yeah, and I heard that that Dylan Moore is kind of dealing with injuries, but honestly, I think. It might be kind of your blessing in disguise is that I think Colton Wong is going to need time early in the season. Like, let him let him have the show here for a minute. Yeah. I don't, like, much like we're kind of talking about with Kelnick and Pollock is that I'd like to see what we have in Colton Wong. I don't know that I want to see him platooning right away. Give him a chance to get his feet underneath him. and Yeah. Hey, Colton Wong is a career 261 hitter. Last season he hit 251, year before he hit 272, year before that 265, 285 in 2019. So, I mean... It, Talked about this before, though. I, I still fear the moving from the NL to the AL. You saw a pretty big drop-off with Wainwright this last year. It's not the easiest. Yeah, but... The pitching in the NL is just as good as the AL. So, I, I don't see why probably he's... Probably better. Yeah, exactly. Probably Recently. better. So I, I don't see why he can't he can't come out and have a similar type of showing. So a little fun fact about him too. Did you guys know that he was the uh, the dude that got picked off in the World Series for the last out between the uh, Cardinals and Red Sox? I think it was back in twenty thirteen. You know, he was the final out that got picked off. I did not know I that. Did not. A little fun fact about him. I mean, I knew he was on the Cardinals, obviously, back around those times. But yeah, yeah. I think during that time, that's when he got called up, and he was just a speedster, and they threw him into pitch run, and, and got he got picked, picked off and lost the game. <laughs> Sound like it haunted him for a while. Couldn't imagine why. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't know why. <laughs> Couldn't imagine why. Um, moving on to the outfield here, the guy, the big offseason signing. T- T. Oscar Hernandez, I think is how his name is actually pronounced. Um, man, could not be more excited for this guy. Dominican Republic, big bat, swaggy. We we love T. Oscar. Can't wait. Can't wait to see him play this year. Uh, yeah, no comment. I mean, he the one of the 
big showings we had of him was when they were playing the Blue Jays in the wild card series, and the guy was raking. Yeah, he had a big series. Yeah, so glad to have him. Welcome yeah. aboard. Welcome yeah. aboard. <laughs> and then we already talked about these two left field, Jared Kalanick and A.J. Pollock. And then, of course, center field, J-Rod, Julio, which Luke just brought this up to me, what, yesterday or the day before? That, it was yesterday. That uh, ESPN had an article that was, that had – top 100 players in MLB, and they had Julio as the number seven player in Major League Baseball. Man, if he can live up to that, we're, we're going to be sitting in a, in a nice place, I think, for, the, for this team. So, Yeah, it's kind of hard sometimes because uh, pessimistic Seattle sports fan, like you always want to under – or just like with anything in general, you, you kind of want to temper your expectations – because then it'll just make it more enjoyable when they like exceed your expectations. But uh, Julio just seems like he's the type of guy that like I don't know, sky's the limit. Thirty-five homers, thirty-five steals, forty, forty. I I don't know. Like I want to let my mind wander and just kind of think about what he can do this year. And I think it's all attainable, assuming that he is healthy. If he gets his 140, 150 games, then I don't see any reason why he can't hit. 35 plus bombs steal a bunch of bases especially with the pickoff rules like bona fide star should probably be top five mvp almost no doubt like i said assuming that he has enough games played <laughs> he already was a top 10 mvp last exactly. year it's not, already, it's so like it just, yeah it's not some crazy yeah leap there that he yeah. would go from being the was he ninth and or was he straight up 10th i, I can't remember yeah but. i think he was Ninth or tenth or something, or something yeah, but go ahead and turn. And he did that while being not good in the first thirty games of the season, basically. Yeah. Well, not good's not a fair compa- uh, fair way to not not it, to the same caliber. He's not the rest. Of the yeah, year. he didn't hit a home run until May or whatever. So or end of April. So you figure he's not going to do that this year. Yeah. I imagine he'll have a handful of homers by the time that they the calendar flips over. So I'll uh I'll go into the host role here for a little bit and ask a question of for everybody. Vegas has the Mariners over under total wins at eighty six and a half for this upcoming season. I almost said that on the nose yesterday when we were talking so about that. What what are everyone's uh I think we should do a, a guess on what the Mariners' total wins is going to be so that we can look back at that at the end of the year and see what we got. If you, I'll start it off, I guess. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, let's go 91 for for my total. Is that We had 90 last year. I think we've had 90 each the, last the last two, two years. years. So I'll say we beat that by one. We'll go 91. Yeah, I, I don't know. I was going to say I was – I was going to say 92 before you said it. So That's, That's That fine. was a number I had in my mind. Yeah, so. I, I think we're sitting there right at the low 90s. I, I think that it's going to be pretty similar to last year. I think they still make it into a wild card spot, and hopefully that they just they catch fire at the right time at that point, and then they can do some damage. And ultimately, they're probably facing the Astros when it comes down to it, and hopefully they're firing on all cylinders to be able to take down the juggernaut. Yeah, I don't think there's any reason other than – injury especially in their pitching rotation although they might have enough depth this year that even they can withstand and it yeah one one, 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 one injury. injury they can't yeah. have two injuries at once but 
92 is my number, but since you were kind of saying that, I'll go a little more bullish and I'll go about 94. We love that. You don't you don't lose a bunch of games and go 10, 10 games under 500, you know. Don't sit at 20 and 30, 50 games in the season, and they probably are a 94, 95 win team this last year. They also won, you know, 16 games in a row or whatever. So it's helpful. I don't think that's going to happen again this year. I'd be really happy if it did. You're right. They're going to win 17 in a row this year. Yeah, there you go. Boom. I think it's a bold thing to say, but all these scenarios we talked about, if Jared Kilnick just suddenly just catches fire and has like a consistent good season all the way through, if Colton Wong, you know, is the fielder that he is the fielder that we're saying that he is, but he also finds his bat again. And we also add on top of that the possible scenario that Evan White fills in that first base spot. He also finds his bat. Ty Francis hitting DH and doing his thing. And then that, you know, the whole starting rotation bullpen. Man, I don't know. This might be bold, but Mariners, maybe they take the AOS. Maybe they take it. It's well, a bold. It's, it's a bold. It's, it's I mean, definitely going to help that that Houston isn't going to have isn't going to have Altuve to start the year. Their pitching rotation is still off the charts, but they're they're missing their one of their superstars. They're so, missing their Mariner killer, Justin Verlander. Yeah, they don't have Justin Verlander anymore. It might be a bigger loss than yeah than you would think, just because that guy really was the linchpin of that rotation, and they have a ton of talent. I don't think those guys are going to be hurting for talent in their rotation, but still, it's always nice. You hear enough baseball players talk about it that the confidence you get when there's a certain guy up, and I feel like Verlander has definitely been that guy for basically every year he's been in the league, so, you know, you got you got to account for that. I do think, though, it's like, it's a long season, but if the Mariners are going to try to actually contend with the Astros and win the division, it's Probably got to start in this first. If Altuve's hurt with that hand, it's got to start now. Yeah, you got to, you got to, because you're going to drop you games. You punch at, him in the mouth early. Yeah, you're going to drop games later in the season. Like it's just what happens over 162. But if you're coming in healthier and things are looking good, you got to go take games early. So it's like crazy to be like, you can't win the division if, if you have a bad start to the season. Like, Obviously, that's still a little... I'm not saying that because it's such a long season. But if you're going to steal games, it's probably going to be in the first 30 days. And then things will level out as the season goes on. But you can really set yourself up for success by taking advantage of the of the fact that the Strohs might be a little, a little choppy out of the gates. They did have a lot of guys that played in the World Baseball Classic, too. So that could be a, something that you maybe see as the season goes on. Some of these guys... Maybe you see some things come out that guys are pushing hard early. I mean, Luis Garcia was pitching a lot for Venezuela. Maybe maybe he runs into some injuries as the season goes on. Yeah, I I think too that last year last year you hopefully you just got that monkey off your back with Houston a little bit. It's like you stood toe to toe with them and you you realized like you can fight with them. You know, like it took them took them 19 innings to take you down at the end of the day and end your season but you stood toe-to-toe with them and you weren't you weren't afraid of them at the end of the day like you were you showed that you're just as good of a team as they are and I think a lot of pe- people would say that if the Mariners win that win that series nobody wanted to face the Mariners after that like that pitching their pitching rotation is is top-notch offense was 
not as good, but it, it's been worked on a little bit since then. You got Playoff a baseball, bats. though, like, yeah. pitching's king. Yeah, and exactly. Let's but, also not forget, too, like, they shelled Justin Verlander in game one of that series. Yeah. Yeah. It just doesn't drop that game. You, yeah, you they can't. dropped the game, and that was... Yeah, that's what killed you all at the end of the day. When we were, we were watching UFC fights last weekend, and they said something interesting that, like... Winning the championship belt, like becoming a champion, automatically makes you thirty percent better because it's just in your mind. Like you, you believe that you're a champion. So obviously the Mariners are not champions yet, but I think that that going toe to toe with the champions and 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 thinking about at the end of that series, like we played better than them, we kind of dropped a game and and lost the opportunity. Maybe that gives you ten percent more uh, mojo there, and so. At the end of the day, maybe you—that's that's the amount that you needed to push push over to, over the hump to the next level. This I mean, season. if the Astros Twitter account is anything to uh, follow, <laughs> yeah, is true. it? Uh, they definitely perceive the Mariners as their biggest threat because oh, yeah. they're out there taking stabs at the Mariners constantly, and all that tells me, as a biased Mariners fan, is that you clearly feel threatened by the Mariners. Yeah. And That's why you feel the need to like take jabs at the Mariners is because kind of started to rattle them a little bit. They've been untouchable, and I think the Mariners have started to show that like we're not afraid of you, and we can kind of punch back now. And I don't, I still don't think that this will be the year that it happens, but I think the tides are shifting, and the yeah. Mariners are kind of on an upward trajectory, and the Strohs are still in the stratosphere in terms of baseball terms. But I think they're starting to drop out of that a little bit. And you're seeing it with guys like Verlander kind of go away. They got a lot of young talent that is going to be due for contracts soon. And they're not going to be able to pay everybody. But yeah, I think they still have a firm grasp on baseball because they have so much talent. I mean, their lineup is crazy good. But I think it's I think I think they know that they need to capitalize probably this year and next year, too, because it's going to. The balloon's gonna pop pretty quickly, and the Mariners are on a nice, nice trajectory up. I think I think it's gonna be a fun, fun season between those two. Like every game is gonna be, you know, playoff mentality because I think those games are gonna be they're gonna count at the end of the year. You know, you I mean, can't you can't go out and lose every game to the Astros this year. Like they're gonna you're gonna have to bring it every single time you play. We, them. We've said this a million times already through six episodes, but like make baseball fun again. You want to know what's fun? A rivalry exactly and they're and they're making that yeah that like those guys they don't like each other and yeah. and a, a big part of a rivalry and we've talked about this a lot before off off air or whatever is that a big part of a rivalry is you have to be good right <laughs> yeah. like people like to talk about like the seahawks and 49ers being this great rivalry it's not when one of the teams isn't good nobody gives a shit when because like the seahawks have been pretty consistently good or at least okay for a long time but i can tell you from my memory the 49ers have also been really good they've also had a lot of years that are sprinkled in there where they've only won three or four games yeah that's how they got joey Bosa. that's how they they traded up for trey lance but like they still had high picks because they haven't been good that rivalry doesn't really mean a lot those years when either one or neither team is good they're both really good they both perceive each other's as big threats to what they want to do with their season. That's good. Yeah, that's good for baseball. It's yeah. good for Mariners baseball that like you got a rivalry. Like you're going to be circling your calendar when the Strohs come to town because 
there's going to be a lot of energy. Yeah. All right, boys. I'm calling it. It was a good show. Good long show. A lot of good content. All those listeners, if you made it through, make sure to subscribe to our social media if you haven't already. Subscribe to the podcast, which I guess you have if you're listening to this right now on either Spotify or Apple. Tell your friends about the show and see ya. See ya.